Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a very special guest. We actually talked on the phone a couple weeks ago for three hours, and I realized afterwards that it sounded kind of weird and sounded like kind of muffly like this. So I got him, got him in L.A. today for the day. I kidnapped him for like nine hours, took him to Crossroads, and now we're in my kitchen. Uh, kitchen. Yeah. This guy is one of my top five favorite humans and musicians, and I know it's hard for him to hear this stuff, but he's going to have to deal with it. So it's Jay-Z, Nas, Chris Martin, Ian McKay, and ladies and gentlemen, on the podcast, Mr. Kevin Seconds. Hey, Toby, how are you? Welcome doing? to be here, in my kitchen. <laughs> yes, we should have just done this anyway, because we, know. you know, we we talk a lot. I know. Like when we talk, we always have good conversation. And yeah. Stuff. And I'm, you know, and the phone is just it's troublesome because I'm half deaf. You got fucked up ears from playing music for do so you? long. Do you? Are you have? I haven't been tested for it, but sometimes I do have that weird little ringing in my ears. Yeah, yeah. I never, I, I never got it done, but my bass player Adam, he went and got his ears checked. It, yeah. You fixing that? Yeah. Just gonna bring it up a little I'm glad bit. you know. I know. I'm glad Kevin's here because Kevin knows how to work these focused right things. I'm I'm learning all this shit. It's all new to me. Um, You're doing great, man. This is amazing. Little setup. Thank you. So we're gonna talk about what we talked about before, and hopefully don't miss anything. But I wrote a bunch of notes down. I have notes on my kitchen wall because uh, we talked about. <laughs> we had a really great conversation a couple weeks ago. I was super excited about it. But in person's better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't like doing these over the phone. I've done like twelve already over the phone. I'm I'm trying to like. I did John Joseph for like two and a half hours. I actually want to go out and sit down with him instead because yeah, yeah. I think it's more personal. Yeah. And it, it, does he, because he, he's pretty energetic when he talks, right? Yes. I would think on the phone that would be, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. And it's hard because I don't have any friends who are mellow to get, the, <laughs> to get them on the phone. So um, we'll see what happens. All right. So, all right. So before we get to everything, people know that, you know, Seven Seconds, one of my favorite bands of all times. I've been moving Seven Seconds Tattoos. Biggest influence to me growing up. You guys are minor threat. Um, but we also, we're, we're going to talk about Kevin before, you know, the bands and all that stuff. And I'm trying to look at my notes. I want to take it back to, you were born in not Sacramento or Reno. Which one? I was born in Sacramento. Okay. Yeah. And high school and growing up. I know you have a sister and a brother. Yeah. Um, uh, how look- was school for you? Uh, you know, I was okay in like grade school, in elementary school, yeah. and then new uh junior high was just uh it was awful. I, mm-hmm. It was the first time I got bullied, and uh, just picked on by just big dorks, and uh, yeah. I just I kind of just found a way to the only way I could deal with it because I wasn't a, like a fighter. I wasn't I was a real skinny scrawny kid, so I wasn't yeah. like a fighter. And I didn't want to fight. I just I just want to be left alone. So I just kind of figured out a way to go into myself and just kind of daydream and like I was saying earlier, you know, I draw yeah. out I just draw in my notebooks and but I just tuned out. I just didn't have a there was no teachers that were inspiring. No teachers seemed to care. And it was I was I went to a junior high in a really little hick town called Folsom, which is a suburb of Sacramento. Very conservative and redneck, and it just was awful. You and said Folsom? Yeah. Like Folsom Prison? Yeah. Wow. We, we lived a block away, uh, two blocks away from the Folsom Prison. Holy shit. Yeah, so it was just, it was a city that was just built around the, the, the prison, the rodeo that they had there every year, and then this little historic district downtown, and there just wasn't anything to do. And, yeah. and you know, I was raised by a hippie mom who kind of encouraged us to think outside the box and be, you know, and, and so it was hard to do that in that t- town. So... Junior high kind of just derailed my any love I might have had for getting an education. I was just like, who cares? And I also started <laughs> to get really into music. Yeah, yeah how old were you when that happened? Like, um, when I started to kind of pay attention to bands was like I was probably thirteen. No, 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 that's not true. Probably eleven. Wow. And I, where I would start to notice, I know about records, and 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 my mom would bring records home, and I just listen to them. And she liked rock 
rock and roll and old soul, like Motown stuff. Yeah. And she liked everything. So it, I could just pull something out of her record collection and put it on. And sometimes it would be really weird. And sometimes it would just blow my mind. Like David Bowie. She, you yeah. know, the first time I ever heard any of that kind of stuff was my mom's collection. And I just was like, wow, this is just, is he even a human being? You know, I thought he was yeah. like an alien. It was so, so bizarre to me, <laughs> you know? So yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I, that's kind of where school lost me. And then high school, I just, I kind of floated through it for the first, for three years. And then I just said, what am I doing here? Like I already one knew I wanted to be in a band. Yeah. I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I was, all my friends went to other schools or lived in somewhere. And so I just, was, I just disengaged completely and dropped out when I was, Third year, yeah. Third year, so 11th yeah, grade, you dropped out? Grade, yeah, And what's your mom think about that? She wasn't happy because she was, at some point, she taught in that same district, school mm. district, and she always encouraged, you know, our education and stuff. But she was also, like, not the best at being stern and saying, yeah. you're, you, you know, you're going to school and you're staying in school. She kind of did the, the hippie mom thing and said, like, you know, well, if that's what you think is right, you know, that kind of thing. And, of course, I was like, okay, cool, thanks, mom, you know. Yeah. And so she wasn't happy about it, but she sort of gave me, she, I had the option, you know, and I think she always figured I'd, she, I, she told me this later on, you know, she figured I'd always want to go and get my GD and, and maybe even try to do something in community college, which I have, you know, so it's kind of funny how that worked out, but yeah. Yeah. So out of school. So what did you do when you get out of school? Like you quit school in your 11th grade, like what, what, what happened then? I just, you know, all my friends were just these stoner, rocker, cool dudes, like the tough guy. <laughs> like, we always lived in shitty neighborhoods, and there was always, like, biker. Local like, toughs. Yeah, like Hell's Angel. It was just, it was very trashy and, and just poor, you know, yeah. white, trashy people. And uh, and you just kind of hung out with whoever was, like, the you know, a lot of the bikers in our neighborhood were the kind of the protectors of the neighborhood. Like, cool. they would watch out for everybody. Yeah. So, and we always knew, and they'd give us rides on their bikes. So, we, we they were just like, how can you not think that's cool, right, at that time? Yeah. And so, I kind of wanted whatever that was, but, so I would fall into the patterns that they would do. I would try to drink, or I would try to get stoned, because that's what they all did. <laughs> try to pick up on girls and just be... An, a dick to him because that's what they did you know <laughs> i had no idea no i had no male figure i didn't my dad was out of the picture completely so i had mm-hmm. nobody taking me aside and saying yeah you know that's not cool that's not respect yeah, yeah. and my mom would try but she she was working and you know a lot of times i was just i was the oldest so i was watching my brother and sister they get home from school and i was like in charge until my mom got home and i was wanting to be a kid and just yeah. fuck up you know so it was very confusing and 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 i you know i just tried to there wasn't, at some point, I mean, early on, there wasn't anything pulling me back inside myself. And then at some point, I was like, yeah, this isn't cool. This is like, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not into this, you know, yeah. stuff. So I like the the motorcycles and the, you know, denim. And, you know, I like the, cu- the, the cool tough the guy look thing. Of it, yeah. Because I, but I realize now that it's because that was the opposite of really who I was. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a tough guy, but... Mm-hmm. Everybody, all the tough people, I mean, it, it kind of, it's a pattern that I've, that's followed me all my life. I, some of my best friends are some of the toughest, meanest motherfuckers. Me too. You know that. Me too. And, 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 and you don't, you can't not love them because you, you know they're decent and they're good and they have 100%. good hearts. And they're, a lot of times they're the best dads that, you know. 100%. And, and a lot of them have just gotten their shit together and they're good human beings. And yeah. I think I always thought, I know you will be. I know you are a good you human see the being. Good, you've seen the good in people. Yeah. And they, and you, I think maybe it's similar probably to you where 100%. like they recognize 
the heart in you and they know that you're not about that life, but that you're, you know, you're, you're a good you're friend. A good for fu- good yeah. So I had that same exact thing. And to this day, you know, some people. Guilty by did, association, man. Had that. Absolutely. I r- totally understand that. And, and, uh, it's tough because I don't, I'm not a violent person. I don't, I don't react immediately to want to fight, you know, yep, it takes a lot to get me to do that. Yeah. So when I'm watching my friends, it not, not hasn't happened in years, but when I would watch them quickly go into that and they'd have a, it, they would almost convince me of the reason why violence was right. Yeah, like I'm like, so oh, that kind of makes sense in a way, you know. Yeah. But they were they were kind of like the protectors. They were the ones that were watching 100%. out for the little guys and the little girls that d- didn't have that in them, you know. And and I, that that's huge for me. I can't. I never have forgotten that, you know. It's so crazy you say that because today I recorded something for the next chapter, which is NYHC family, and I moved to New York all by myself from Maryland, D.C. when I was 18. And moved. Long story short, I never been in a fight. Never been arrested. Not a tough guy. Lover, not a fighter. <laughs> hated fucking violence. But then I moved to New York by myself, and I was hanging out at CBGBs. I met all these different walks of life. Yeah. All these heroes from different bands started hanging out with a group of people who fucking had my back. They would break my balls to the fullest and give me tough skin and pick <laughs> on me. But the minute somebody did something, they rat pack them. And it was this whole mentality, like this family, brotherhood, have your back kind of thing. Yeah. And I wasn't a violent person either. And like, yeah. Ah, it's crazy, man. Um, well, and, and especially a, a part of this culture that we've grown up in the hardcore punk rock culture it's like violence is always within arm's length like you you, totally. you don't it doesn't take much to be in it, we're we're schism something is going down something bad mm-hmm. and and i think that's one of the reasons that i i kind of went tried to go in the opposite direction because i thought well there's enough there's enough toughness like that's covered yeah you know we got that and, and yeah and and like i wasn't a wimp you know I, I never considered myself like a wimpy i'm not a soft person i just don't i just try to always uh yield to like let's let's i, I was always like the i was just thinking about this actually on the plane i i, I would talk my friends out of getting their ass beat more than I would talk myself out of getting like I could I, I could I'd get in the middle of it and say man don't do this don't beat them up don't do it and mm-hmm. it would always work whereas like it wouldn't always work for me to try to get myself out of a situation <laughs> but you know it's, okay. most of the time like even with seven it's funny with seven seconds like crazy boneheads would show up at our shows to start fights and I remember one guy I was talking to one guy I was trying to talk to him I'm like why are you coming here like why are you doing this at this show like we drove. 500 miles to play this show. Like None of our songs are about this. Yeah, we're not about this. You know we're about this. And the guy goes, yeah, I w-. this one guy told me this was in Dallas or something. He said, yeah, I was just saying to my friends, like, it's just a bunch of pussies that go to Seven Seconds show. Why are we even bothering? And and then I realized, oh, that's why you're bothering, because you think that everybody else is weaker than you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't say this to him, but I was just, like, calling him out on, like, why would that even be fun for you? You know, there's got to be, like, a fight club somewhere in town. Like, you know, there's got to be, like, a warehouse or a bunch of dudes that like to scrap. Yeah. It seemed like that would be more challenging, you know? like It's so, so. true, like, having that kind of people around you. Though. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I can relate to that so much, just having Crazy. people around you have you back no matter what yeah like i was like one of the only straight edge guys hanging out with all these new york dudes and yeah it's crazy yeah that you know that's a whole different thing the east coast compared to like out here there was always still a sense of you know like yeah no right man i get it fuck it we won't fight whereas like east coast everybody's so everything's intense it is magnified magnified and you're living in a different you're living different especially in the city and so you just, you know, but I I don't know. It always, it worked itself out. I'm still friends with a lot of, Me too. Uh, I mean, the ones that survived and didn't end up in prison and yeah. staying in prison. Like, 
I still am in touch with a lot of them, and and they'll tell me they'll like you know you were a really great influence on me. Yeah, I didn't know, but they they'll say like you would make me actually think about shit. Like before I would I consider it. before I'd go out and do conscience. some stupid stuff, and that means. I, that almost means everything when you think about it. Yeah. Because if you have some big fucking tough guy that's like f- somehow got some something in your your pleading, please just don't beat that kid's yeah. ass. This is like you know, and <laughs> I mean you know it it just the other the, the other thing though is is that because of this culture that started to get a little too uh, of a it became a habit like yeah. that became so like it didn't shock me anymore and that's that concerned me at some point I remember. Us playing seven seconds playing at Fender's Ballroom in Long Beach back in the heyday of just, just awful violent shows like yeah. packed out thousand kids but it was just awful you know like so much of, we, we were constantly stopping the set to stop the fights and I remember thinking how easy it was to just go oh yeah it's just part of the thing and I'm like no I don't mm-hmm. want it to be a part of the like I don't want it to be a part of our thing like if the other bands they're playing don't give a shit that's up to them but for us it, it just meant too it was just too much for us you know yeah and it really did make us consider not wanting to be a band like we there was a time in that middle part in the 80s especially when we were doing different things music where we were just like do we even want to be a part of this scene it's like it, all these i mean we loved it so much and we loved the people the kids that were coming to see us and yeah. the bands but we hated that every time those kids were just prey to these fucking thugs and yeah. and we were too you know yeah and and in the 80s it was no joke going out and touring in a van you know it was already the, the elements were already against you in like some parts of the south because totally. of the redneck racist shit yeah. but then with organized like fucking nazi skinheads yeah. and all these groups you you didn't know what and there was no getting on the phone cell phone no, calling the no help text, no calling nothing. friends it was like yeah we're out here in this crazy New new world that we have no idea what 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 to expect, you know. And it yeah. was uh, it was harrowing. It was just you never knew where we got the balls to just keep doing it. I have no idea. Yeah, that's that's what freaks me out. It's like why so many bands, like young kids that were just like, hey, I just want to skateboard. You know, <laughs> kept going out and doing that shit. It's like wow, it's true. you know, like I don't know where we got. <laughs> bo- we must have been really bored. <laughs> so so you're eleventh grade. You're hanging out with these kind of people, kind of local toughs. Um, you loving music. Um, so then, what was your what, when did you start playing music in your first band? Uh, I think you said the Rush Cover Band, maybe right. <laughs> well, so <laughs> we, I always wanted once you know once I got the bug that I, I wanted to play because I was I was looking up to the to, to bands of the seventies. You know, I loved the Stones and Led Zeppelin and all the all those bands, Black yeah. Sabbath, Deep Purple, and the, but those bands were just so those were those bands were just records in your collection and a poster on the wall, and if you were lucky. You could get a ticket for seven dollars and see them in some arena. $7. Yeah, That's crazy. and so, but you could never even if we. I go to all those concerts, but but I would be. I would. It was so far away, and so there was no real connection. It was like, you know, this is great, but if if you're in a stadium and the band, I don't care who you are, you sound mm-hmm. like shit. So it was never like I wanted to have more of an experience, but it was never that great. Yeah, and so. I, I would I'd still go to concerts because I just wanted that excitement, but it wasn't cutting it. So then I started thinking, man, I want to do this. This is what I want to do, and I had no idea how to how do you meet other people to play. Yeah. I didn't know if I was good or not. I wasn't. I didn't play anything. I was just singing, and I didn't have a big high falsetto voice. I, you know, you could I couldn't do the <laughs> rock shit really. Yeah, like I could do that more now if I tried than I could when I was a kid. But yeah, like it just was, there was something, you know, but I was just bound and determined. And I started this, there was a local magazine in Sacramento called Rock and Roll News. And they had a 
a musician's ad thing in the back, yeah. and I just made up a little thing. I just said, you know, lead singer looking for hard rock band, da 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 And I <laughs> lied and said I was 18. And so this band called me, and they had already they had, had a singer, but it didn't work out. So they were like, well, we want to keep the band, but we just want a singer. So it was like guys that were already like 19, 20. Yeah. They were much older than me, and I lied. I was 14 when I tried out for them, and I said Damn. I was 18. Yeah. And... uh and I was I, I I there was a tape that I had I don't think I have anymore it was it was like I re- we recorded the first practice and it was doing like Led Zeppelin songs and Rush that's and, awesome you know and I knew all those songs but I couldn't really hit the high note so I would do a real just it, it makes me cringe just thinking about it <laughs> this like w- shitty falsetto yeah. that was awful and somehow I got the job so I'm like all right man you know you're our singer I was like all right so we played a couple. <laughs> parties like keg part kegger parties and stuff and but that they were called bastille b-a-s-t-e-e-l like because they were yeah yeah it was awful awful they were good but i sucked (laughs) and then that's when my mom was like you know we we're not making it in sacramento i just there's no work down here and we need to do something and we had a her best friend lived up in reno moved up to reno and got a big house and said look you guys come up live with us for as long as you need to until you get on your feet and then you know, and at the time, Reno was just, there was tons of work. You could work, you yeah. know. So we went up there, and uh, she, there was a her best friend that had a weird relationship going on with her guy that she was seeing or married to. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, you guys can't stay at my house right now. It can't happen. And we're like, but we have like $100 to our name, and we don't Damn. have anywhere to go. And uh, so we lived out of house. a fucking car for... A week, eh, almost two weeks. We lived in the, out of a car. Damn. We stayed at this park called Paradise Park. It's in Sparks, Nevada. It's right at the cusp of Reno and Sparks. Yeah, and uh, just would go over, and there was a McDonald's, and we would eat over there. And then my mom got an application, and I was like, waiting with my brother and sister in the car. We weren't even in school or anything. I don't know Damn. what. I don't even know how. Like, you could not even get away with that now. No. But we we uh, my mom went over, and got an application, and and a applied and got a job at McDonald's and she said, you know, they're they're looking for work. So I, I had just turned 16 and I'm, I went over, got a job. Holy and shit. We lived out of a motel room, the Western Motel, for probably a year. Just a shitty shit. fucking flea bag. Just awful. And worked at McDonald's. And worked at McDonald's. We got up every morning. I We worked the morning shift. I'd, she and I would walk to work at 6 o'clock in the morning, walk about a mile to the McDonald's. Sometimes it was snow. It was just it, like, I think about it now and I Jesus. almost don't think, it, I, I can't even, I don't know what, my my mom must have been just going having such an anxiety. I can't even imagine. She's got three kids, you know, single, and, yeah. and she was just trying to hold it together. And you have to ask your oldest, you, you have to basically say to your oldest son, you have to work. I need your help. Yeah. And so that meant like, do I, am I supposed to focus on school? What do I do? You know, like, what, yeah. like I'm at that age. I want to meet, you know, like I, all of this yeah. stuff is like, this is what you have to do, you know, please. Yeah, survival, man. Yeah. So we did. I think then minimum wage was two eighty five an hour. That's what I started Jesus. at. It might've been two sixty five, and just working every day and just hating it and just working for people that just didn't, I, I, that was my first indication that I had <laughs> a heart. Uh, <laughs> there was a park, that park that we stayed at, Paradise Park. There, a lot of homeless people lived in that park, and we would, uh, that we we were whenever there'd be there was these they'd have these racks stacked up of buns, mm-hmm. and after a certain time they'd say, "All right, just chuck those out." So I, I we would throw them in the trash, and then at some point 
I would see homeless people checking it out. So I, I would take a couple of rows of them and I'd stick them off to the side so that they could go eat That's the, awesome. the buns. And I that I got found out and I got written up about it. Oh, shit. And it became such an issue that I, I tried to fight it, but I was like, I need this job. I can't lose this job. And but I got the, they gave me shit about it and I was like well, yeah. they're bombs what are you doing you know yeah. leave me. you know that's, that's just encouraging people not to get jobs and stuff like that and so uh, you're being compassionate yeah and it just it just it, it it was such a waste like it was it was a pile it was like racks of une like perfectly good buns yeah, they were yeah, like yeah. a day old maybe yeah and uh, you're they would in just, a hotel with your whole family so yeah. It's like, so then they would tell me to, when I threw them out they'd watch me and they'd make me get up on the dumpster and stomp on the buns so they were just you know not edible That's and I'm like and that just said that was huge to me I was like well that you're so you're just saying you'd rather somebody go hungry you you don't care about these buns you're not I know. you don't care about them like as far as you know they could just be thrown anywhere and you don't Step care bombs so people can't eat them yeah. homeless people yeah it, it, that was really extreme. That was the corporate mentality. So anyway yeah, yeah. we did that for a while we lived at the hotel but at that hotel motel room is where we uh, discovered punk rock actually. Okay. And we were watching TV, a little black and white TV, and it literally it was us. My mom and sister would sleep on the bed. There was one bed, and then my brother and I had sleeping bags, and we'd sleep on the floor. And one night we were watching some something on TV, and there was a special on the English was it invasion. Nightline? It no. was like Nightline. Okay. It was it was a it was a hit piece. It was like they were trying to show how bad it was because they Stay showed the, well they showed the interview with Bill Grundy where they're they, he encourages the pistols. Or he's interviewing the pistols. It was mm-hmm. a British show. And he's like, "Come on, you can be shocking. Say more." And then Steve Jones is like, "You fucking cunt," you know whatever. <laughs> and and it, it it you know then imagine seven nineteen seventy seven. You know, first of all. Cussing wasn't on records. You didn't mm-hmm. hear bands say fuck or anything like that. And also, just on national TV, the idea was it really was like you could see how a bunch of old people would go, oh my God, yeah, you know? Totally. And so, but there was something about it that just, I, and then they show the pistols playing, God, oh, that guy. And the, the kids are choking each other down the <laughs> dance floor. And it was like watching Martians. Like we didn't know, we, we were just sitting around like a little family watching this thing. And we're like, and my mom's like, what the hell? And our neighbor, one of our neighbors, Earl, was, he, he'd come over and hang out with us. And he'd be like, well, I don't even get what they're doing. Like, is that dancing? And you know, and you and Steve were like, oh. Steve and I were glued to it. Steve and I yeah. were, I think my sister was to a lesser extent, but we were just going, what the fuck is this, man? We have to. Do, <laughs> what is this? And what both of us agreed over the years, we've we've talked about this. Like what we both realized is that the the most appealing thing was is that the band was playing and the crowd was right there. Yeah. It wasn't a stadium and it wasn't an arena. Yeah. And they weren't that great of musicians. And that initially, I mean, it immediately was like, I can do this shit. I totally. know I can do that. I yeah. know I can figure out a way to do that. And so that was, <laughs> I didn't even know if I liked punk rock, the music itself, or anything mm-hmm. about the bands, but I just wanted, I did everything I could. I was looking, I was going down to the library and looking at old, like, billboard magazines to see if there's any... Searching. Anything. And because, like, rock magazines, like the big rock magazines, Rolling Stone was kind of doing some stuff. Yeah. It, like, Circus Magazine would have every once in a while they do something on, like, New Wave, you know? Yeah. But... It was so mysterious, that, and I couldn't find enough. I was just like on this quest to find more out, and <laughs> uh, and that's where it all started, right there. That little motel room, man. We were just like so bored, and we're just working. And I wasn't, you know, I was working with girls, and I, you know, I was, I was just awkward. I mean, I was, I was working in the, in the, in on the grill. So my just, I just had 
acne, you know, all the wow. grease. I just looked terrible. I was 16 and I just looked already like just tore up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and just unclean. You know, I always had every, I'd wash my clothes and I'd still find little pockets of grease from working there. It was like, Fuck. it was, it was so, it was, you couldn't, there's no way you could even try to think you could meet people to yeah. date, you know? And so I just was like, eh, I'll just work and I'll be part, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help my mom out and, it's kind of grim for a while. <laughs> so how long did you do it before you actually started playing punk music? Um, the next year, 78, we uh, we started to be able to order uh, at the back of like Rolling Stone and Cream yeah. and Cream Magazine especially. The, there'd be these tiny little ads where you could buy uh, bootleg tapes and it would say pistols, Ramones. And yeah. so they, I would just order, you'd, or you send a, a dime and then they'd send you this catalog, just Xerox, yeah. shitty little catalog. And it would say, I think, you know, it was like five bucks and you could buy a cassette, you know, Sex, Sex Pistols live at the 100 Club in, you know, in England. Cool. Or the Ramones live at CBGB's. And yeah. so we bought it all. I, I, I'd take my money, my paycheck, I'd give my mom most of it. And then I'd have a set aside and I started buying cassettes. Because I, no pl- store in Reno, you couldn't find vinyl yet. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, they started stocking some stuff. Like the, I, I think X-Ray Specs was a 7-inch. was the first 7-inch I found. Yeah. And I didn't know much about them, but it just it was shocking pink. And yeah. I was like, this has got to be good. There's got to be, you know. And it was like, <laughs> oh, bondage up yours. You yeah. know, just crazy. Like, sounded like nothing. And they had the, they have a saxophone player. Yeah. <laughs> It's all out of tune. Yeah. And you're like, what is this? This is amazing. You know, <laughs> It was just exciting. It didn't sound yeah. like anything else. And I, I, at that point in my life, I just needed that, I guess. And at that point, all my friends that were my exact age needed ACDC yeah. and Van Halen. And I love those bands too. But they would, on Friday, Saturday nights, the only thing you could do in Reno was you, the only thing you could do as a kid, if you didn't go to some kegger party, you just get in a car and cruise Main Street all night long and just stare at girls that you were never going to get to hang out with. <laughs> it was like, it was awful. Yeah. It was just so demeaning and just so like, I'm just, what? and I would sit there and go, what am I doing with these fucking dudes? Like, I, yeah. I'm, you know, we're all, it's, at the end of the night, it's going to be uh, just a bunch of dudes hanging out. Anyway. Horny dudes. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> so he was hanging out. And then, so after that band, so... So what was the first band called? You were in the punk band. Oh yeah. So we, uh, Steve and I, uh, I conned my brother into playing bass. Uh, I had a an acoustic guitar, and he he learned how to play the bass by. I think I told you this. We we got the first Ramones album, and if you pan, if you listen to it on a stereo or in headphones, if you pan it to the right, Dee Dee's bass is gone, and it's just Johnny's guitar and drums. It's crazy. And Joey's. It, this is a nerd thing to say, but Joey's <laughs> vocal. Joey's vocals in the center, and then there's like the drums in the center, and then. Dee Dee's on one side and Johnny was on the other side. So if you turn down Dee Dee, uh, you could just hear Johnny playing guitar and Steve would play bass to that. Yeah. And I would do the same thing with, I'd listen to Dee Dee and play guitar. So we yeah. we kind of learned how to play guitar and ba- bass by the first Ramones record. Mm-hmm. That was kind of our thing. And we learned that record inside and out. And so awesome. once Steve, once I knew my little brother, who who at that time just followed me everywhere. He didn't yeah. know why he liked it. He was just like, oh, my big brother's doing it, I'll do it. <laughs> but then, then he got really into it, and then my sister was my my sister actually was the first one who bought Nevermind the Bullocks and the Sex Pistols because she was the only one that had a job that she could <laughs> she could splurge money on. Was that a track? Maybe nope. 
No, we. I, I had a friend that had the eight track. No, she. Yeah. They had the Sex Pistols album. It was a week it came out, okay. and and the record store did this thing where they put out copies, but then they put a sticker that said "banned" in the U.S. Sick. So they left the records out. It was it was obviously a, a a a marketing move. So smart. But we were like, oh my god, it's so fucking. It's this is they can't even sell it to us. <laughs> I mean, why do they put it out if they can't sell it? To yeah. us? But it was brilliant. And by the time they said, okay, you can buy it now, it sold out immediately. People that didn't even Damn. like the music just thought, oh, this has got to be good. So we bought my we, we we talked my sister into it was six ninety nine and we talked my sister into buying the record and we went home and listened to it in her room and we were worried because my mom was at work and my mom got home and we were we couldn't even get past it. there was holidays in the sun and then bodies <laughs> that song bodies is the second yeah. song we couldn't get past that because again he's talking about like. An abortion. Fuck, fuck this, this fuck. and fuck that. We're what Led Zeppelin record or Boston Nobody. or Kansas? You didn't hear any of that shit. <laughs> so we're just our minds are blown. And uh, my mom came home and she's like, "What are you guys listening to?" And we're like, "The Sex Pistols," and she's like, "It's what is it?" Like she didn't, you know. And instead of she, the greatest thing, and I thanked her probably once a month for this. The greatest thing she ever did was she didn't. She just turned around and laughed, and I'm like, "All right." That's cool. That is awesome. You know, like she's not going, no, you're turn it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I told her, years later, I was like, you know what? You don't even know how influential that was it, it, for Steve and I especially to like want to, to, to keep delving into this punk thing. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, you. I knew you didn't like the music. You know, she's a Beatles fan. supposed to like it, yeah. Right, but... That's you, awesome. You didn't, you didn't fucking shit on us about that. And yeah, that, that was cool. huge, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... And later on, you know, my mom really started to like a lot of that music. She loves, you know, even hardcore stuff. She, there's a, bands that she thought was, you know, <laughs> b- melodic. All the melodic shit. Yeah, melodic shit. Yeah. But, yeah, that was... Uh, so Steve and I were like, we have to start a band. So we didn't we didn't know any drummers. We tried to get my sister to play drums. She's like, I'm not a drummer. So we were just like, all right, let's just... I'll write some songs. Just shocking, stupid, sh- stupid bullshit songs. Yeah. And then... Um, we came up with a name, and, and we thought it was brilliant. It was called The Misfits. And we thought, holy shit. Are you sh-. fucking serious? Yeah. And we thought, holy <laughs> shit, we got it. And you know what it's from? There's no a way. There's an album from The Kinks called The Misfits. Oh, shit. Okay. And, or Misfits. And that's where it came from. My mom had it in a collection. And we just thought it was like the most inventive, creative thing ever. And then wow. uh, we were heartbroken because not that long after, there was a 7-inch. It was one of the early, which I wish I would have bought because it's probably worth $5,000 million. So much money. It said the Misfits, and I'm like, "What? Are you kidding me?" And so we bought it, and it was all, you know. And then I'll never forget. We played it. Um, that it was. Uh, it was one of the early Misfits records. I don't even remember the song. And my mom heard it, and she goes, "Is that Bob Seger?" Really? Because <laughs> he he's kind of croony. Yeah, oh, God, very croony. So, you know. And we're like, I guess like now I can kind of go. Oh, I can yeah. And I'm like, no, mom. This is the Misfits are from New York or New Jersey or somewhere. They stole our name. <laughs> so we had to change our name and stuff. But yeah, we, we just kept at it and kept putting out little ads and, and you know, just begging people, please, just we don't care who what kind of drum. You don't even have to have a drum kit. Play on boxes. Just please play with us. <laughs> and it was awful for like a year or two. Like it wasn't really until 79 where we met a guy that could play fast. We wanted to play fast. I don't know what... Yeah. Well, the, that band, The Dills, from... from San Diego, L.A., San Francisco. Yeah, I remember that band. They they had the they they were in this Cheech and Chong movie called Up in Smoke. Oh, yeah, I'm you ever seen any of that? Yeah, yeah. It's just a snippet. Classic. Yeah, it's a battle of the bands. They're playing and they're doing a sound check even in the movie. And we wow. we saw that movie at the theater, at drive-in theater. And because of that scene alone, 
I made my brother come with me. We snuck into the theater, I don't know how many more times to see that movie. And it was just for that. I would take a handheld, I had a handheld recorder and I would hold it up to the little fucking drive-in speaker just to record that little snippet. Super DIY. Like, wait the whole movie just to do that. Just so we could go back and listen to it. And all it is is them doing, there's a song called, that song, the name of the song is called You're Not Blank. It was on their first seven inch. And I, I was so blown away by that sound and that they're playing... If you listen to the Dills now, they weren't that fast. It's yeah. like the Ramones. I remember thinking the Ramones were fast. They're not, yeah. The no. DRI came or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, that was, yeah, exactly. Where the group sex oh, album yeah. was like, right. like we were already trying to play as fast as the Dills, and then we heard uh, the middle class, out of Vogue, nah, 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 mm-hmm. out of Vogue, you know. And we hadn't even heard Bad Brains yet. Like, that, had we heard the Bad Brains then, it would have been like, oh my God, we are never going to be able to play this yeah. fast. <laughs> but yeah, it was just on this quest. And I remember thinking, I want to be the fastest punk band on the West Coast. That's all I cared about. Our first promotional flyer that I made for Seven Seconds once we became Seven Seconds was fastest band on the West Coast. <laughs> like, it, 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 we had no, <laughs> n- you know. But that was our goal, was to be fast. And it just <laughs> was... It, it's weird because I've talked to so many people over the years, like Bob Mould, you know, because when they first came out, Husker was like, yeah, you, it, indecipherable. And then, of course, Minor Threat. And, but everybody was just somehow, everybody sort of figured out, let's play faster than the Ramones and the Sex Pistols. And I always think that's kind of the American, <laughs> that's where American hardcore, that's where it turned right there. That's uh, where it became. Like, I agree. We didn't want to play this, like, because Sex Pistols were like rock and roll, really. Listen to it now, it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bar chords like rock and roll. So Steve Jones then, was yeah. just such a rock and roll guy. Yeah. And the and the, the Ramones didn't sound like anything. Like, that was just crazy. Like, you know, Joey thought they were writing, they were a pop band, you know. Like, Did you love the Ramones? Of course, yeah. So Saw the Ramones. Melodies. They they played in, in Reno. They opened for, remember, Eddie Money? Yeah. I got two tickets to paradise. They opened for him in Reno. Random. And when I first saw the ad, I didn't believe it. I thought, this is a joke. There's no <laughs> way the Ramones A are playing in Reno and they're playing with Daddy Money. <laughs> and so we got tickets, $4 tickets. And uh, $4. it was in this little livestock pavilion where they had rodeos. And uh, it was like the, the first 30 people that were in line were all Ramones fans. And that was basically... The people that were in that line were the, the very start of whatever be- yeah, the yeah. Reno punk rock scene started as. So yeah. they, they, were, they were the only freaks in Sacramento and Reno. Yeah, and we were right there. We were right in the front, and so With we started them. talking. Like, are you here from the Ramones or Eddie Money? And they're like, Ramones. And then all the Eddie Money fans were these little girls because he was a huge pop guy yeah, at the he time. Was. They were holding his album like they were. They Damn. thought he was a heartthrob, and so we were like, they're the. They're, screw them. We don't give a shit about them. We're like, <laughs> and then they opened the gates and everybody ran to the front stage and it was all like punks or wannabe punks in the front and yeah. everybody was just like fiercely holding on to the front because we were like, we're leaving after remote, so we don't care about that. I'm sure those g- girls are getting crushed up front too. Like it was crazy, the yeah. whole thing. I I literally had a girl, I, I've told this story, but I had a girl that was behind me who had an Eddie Money record. She was doing everything she could to get in front of me. She was flirting with me. She was like Damn. grabbing my butt and doing all this like flirty stuff and you know I, i'm like oh, she's cute but i don't care the ramones are playing right now you know like <laughs> i didn't even care like and i remember just i had an old polaroid camera that i snuck a polaroid camera that's insane old school Those 70s big. big i somehow snuck in my had my pants and had a jacket on i was taking photos of the ramones polaroid shots of the ramones 
and I have them somewhere. No they're, way. Yeah, I have. They're stupid, just terrible, blotchy shots. But I'm sitting there with this Polaroid camera. Like I, I can't even imagine. Like can you imagine being in the crowd? And well, no. then it would have been a big deal. But if you saw this big weird camera <laughs> accordion back like, then too, yeah, the whole thing was just holy ridiculous. shit. Well, was that was the band X Band then? X Band started in, yeah just after that in '79, and we had a friend. Uh, Bob, who was just a local stoner guy that we knew, <laughs> local stoner. He was the only one that could play fast. He, yeah. we'd have him. We, I wrote these songs super fast, and he could play them. And he didn't even like it at first. He was like, "Yeah, I don't. I'm a, I'm a rock guy." But we just there was something <laughs> about just, he liked playing with us, and so he liked the songs. And there was a lot of melody, like because we were also like into. I mean, we still listen to all of our rock stuff, but I liked I like catchy choruses, you know. Yeah. And, and so I was always trying to write a catchy chorus, and then. Uh, yeah, we just had like 20 songs and and we just started to play uh we couldn't get gigs anywhere. We we're too young to play clubs and they wouldn't have booked us anyway. I think we played at a, uh, in our neighborhood. We lived in an apartment p- complex and a friend of ours wanted to have a party so he said, "We well, just play in my living room." <laughs> so shit. we planned his living in an apartment, like a yeah. little like a cinder block, two two bedroom apartment buildings. And um I was on Patton Drive and then we we just the neighborhood loved it because we were like the only we were the my mom's apartment was the most exciting apartment because we were yeah. just playing live. Whenever my mom would go to work, we just play, you know. <laughs> and I mean, I you know it was stupid, but um, yeah, that's where it all started. And expand just kind of the name came up because we just wanted something that sounded kind of like controversial. And yeah, I was the ask word you that. band, it was like if you put band, it seems like ooh. Well, the Sex Pistols album was banned. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it just we didn't really <laughs> understand. Like it just seemed intense, you know. Like yeah. so, let's just use that and. We didn't really do much. That was that was kind of the the seed of Seven Seconds. Like when Seven Seconds started, we were still playing songs I'd written for X Band, but our drummer Bob had just one night showed up and said, "Oh, by the way, I I just joined the Navy. I'm leaving in a couple oh, months." Oh shit! And he tried to he tried to get me to join with him. He wanted he had a, our, another mutual join friend. The Navy? Yeah. Imagine. Yeah, Holy like shit. a buddy buddy thing. He's like, "Hey, Jeff, my, our other friend had joined too," and he goes, "You should do it." And I'm like. Come on, man. You know, like, <laughs> come on, man. I'm just getting into the music. I don't got to go. But uh, we always we always writing songs and writing stuff, poetry. Trying stuff? Yeah. to, like, yeah. I was always writing words and books and shit like that. In school but, and stuff too. Yeah. yeah, just trying to. You know, I don't. I don't. I, none of it was good. But and the, those lyrics were all they, that. Then it was always like it was. It went from being like let's just be shocking, like whatever Sid and Johnny would do, we'd just go, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then, and then the Dills and the Clash kind of politicized stuff. Totally. And so it made me start thinking about like the Dills big thing was the Dills were openly communist. That they, they oh, had shit. hammer and sickle flags on their state, you know. Oh, and, and and ironically, strangely enough, the New York Dolls went through a phase like that too, where when okay. Malcolm McLaren started managing them oh, he did. way before them. the pistols, they he thought it would be way more shocking you can't, you know, the Nazi thing, the swastika thing was shocking, but they'd already done that. They've People been, already, so yeah. let's let's tr- dress them up like they're communists. Wow. And this is when we were we hated Russia, yeah. and, you know. So he thought it would be. I mean, Malcolm McLaren was always just like a shyster. He was always trying to come up with an angle, you know. But he put him out on the road in Texas. Did the same thing he did with the six Sex Pistols with the New, New York Dolls in like '75, I think. And wow. then sent him out in bars, redneck bars, and wearing makeup, dudes with you know <laughs> heels and just you know. Um, but so we thought, wow, that's kind of cool, you know. That's a different angle. So I studied up, you know, 
I had a friend that was like a so-called communist, and he, he used to distribute Revolutionary Worker Party papers, and he'd always give me one, and I'd sit and try to read it and understand it, but I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't get it. Like, what's the... But the class, <laughs> Joe Sturm had a way of, like, talking about politics and making it human and not Or it be... wasn't preachy either. It was just in there. Yeah, the it was just yeah. human. It was like, yeah. And, yeah. and it seemed really smart and, you know, very wise for young people. And I, that that just, I really, uh, somehow, I that, that... Connected to that. I connected that more than the, you know, Blitzkrieg, bop, or I loved his stuff. I loved music, all the music of the Pistols and, those, and, the, and the Ramones, but I just, there was something missing a little bit. And really the Clash just... Laid it all out. The Clash were like, and that's it's funny because the Clash, like I had friends that just dropped off. They were like, "Yeah, I don't like the Clash. They're too like they thought it was too wordy and too smart." And I was like, "No, that's why I like it." <laughs> you yeah. know, like like I feel like this is th- this kind of music. Is, the music is perfect. Now, if we could just have good lyrics, meaningful lyrics, and yeah. I think I needed that in my life. I needed this sense that the world wasn't. Because everything was really cynical. Everybody mm-hmm. was like, you know, we thought like Russia was going to bomb us off the face of the earth. And, you know, all the yeah. movies that were coming out were all just like Red Dawn. You remember those yeah. movies? Just like Rambo. Like all of the movies that were coming out were just like, you know, End America's the, the best. Everybody else sucks, you know. And I'm like, yeah. that can't be totally true. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like these countries have been around for so much longer than us. Like, yeah. you know. I can, I can relate to the yeah never mind the Bullock stuff either and like all like anarchy and fuck your parents and all that stuff because I, yeah. lo- I love my mom right you know yeah. she's taking care of us I, I didn't hate my mom but yeah <laughs> I feel like the hardcore came and that was more like let's fix things let's think yeah. about things make a difference we kind of took the it seemed like we took the message that was coming out of some of the bands and then just revved everything up a little bit you the know Kennedys too man it was super yeah. political man yeah I mean that's and DOA, I mean DOA were. I still think DOA just get so little credit for what they really did to put hardcore on the map. Mm-hmm. They were the first band that said we're hardcore. I mean, straight up interviews. They had an album, album Hardcore Eighty One. That was their That's record. Right. And I remember they were coming up to play Reno a lot, and they would, they'd say, uh, you know, they were like, we'd ask them, we'd say like, you know, what's hardcore and. And what's hardcore? And, and they're like, you know, it's a, it's, you know, it's like our brand of punk, you know, and yeah, and and it turned out, I guess, that they uh, they had kind of talked with. Uh, uh, there was a magazine that came out in, out of L.A. in like 80, 80, 81 called Damage. Okay, and right on the cover, it shows a kid like an HB Huntington Beach kid back then when the kids with the bandanas and the chains yeah. and everything, and he's just sitting in the gutter. And they were like, you know, it's, it said like America's punk, you know, hardcore. Like they had, they coined it, and and yeah. and I, I I still have the cover. I tore it up and I put it on the wall, and that was like we're going this way. Like DOA says they're hardcore. We yeah. worship DOA, and it just it was a little more North American. Like it every like kids in the suburbs weren't going to understand the dull in England or no. this the, the, the Lower East Side. Like you know, mm-hmm. the suburban kids in California or Reno. We, we didn't, that's not, I mean, we could, we loved it, but we didn't yeah. totally relate to it. So this was like, a, and, and just talking with like, say Soto, Steve Soto and the adolescents, they were, just, all of them were going through the same thing. They were like, we live out in the fucking suburbs. Like the beach is like 10 minutes away, Yeah, but we're still fucking fired up and angry. Some of these kids <laughs> had money. Some of their parents had oh, money, right. but they were frustrated and they, they weren't being heard and they felt like we don't mean anything in society, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so this new music that I think really was very, I won't say American, because I think, you know, DOA set it off. DOA and Black Flag, Dead Kennedys set it all yeah. off, you know. And they 
that was it for us. We were just like, all right, that's that's the direction we're going in. And luckily, or not, we were there in that little that little window of like at the beginning when nobody was really saying hardcore or calling yeah. it hardcore. We were going, I, I still have old flyers, seven seconds, hardcore punk from, from Reno. And and people were like, What's hardcore punk? You know, like yeah. it's just fast, you know, and you know meaning, you know, we have meaning. We we're 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 a message band, you know, and that's interesting. Music and the message, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just important to try and it didn't. I didn't know what the message really was because I was still <laughs> young, and I, we were just making shit up as yeah. we went along. Yeah, and I think in our, you know, when we talked earlier, it was just like, uh, I just my situation being a young kid, young man, you know, and just living in these sort of you know, shitty apartments and, and growing up in this way that I felt pretty hopeless. Like I couldn't imagine a future, like the idea of going yeah. to college and getting a degree and getting married. I, none of that was even, I'm like, I don't even, I don't, who, who can think like that right now? Yeah. Like, like, first of all, I just want to make sure my mom is, is solid. And, okay, and yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't want her to be, I, if I move out, I don't want her to be destitute and mm-hmm. living, you know? So there was a lot more going on, I think. And it just, the music just, happened to come along and kind of help yeah help things so x-band was playing around for a while and did you guys play out of reno or just we didn't play anywhere we played a couple parties and and that's it and then we just our drummer went to the navy and and at that point i was just like i i i wanted already to find a faster drummer and okay and and i didn't like the name anymore and my brother was like <laughs> he'd just gotten so good on bass he he got good so quickly. Yeah. And I really just wanted to be the guitar player, but I was writing all the lyrics and I could sing decently, so you know, all right. So I was like, I just want to be the guitar player. Like I just wanna I wanted it to sound like Greg Ginn, the early Black Flag records, yeah. and then just have a singer that's just angry. And we we just didn't know anybody that had the na- that attitude, not naturally. Like anybody mm-hmm. would try to go, they'd they'd automatically go into a fake English accent. <laughs> and it's like, why? You're from Carson City, Nevada. You yeah, don't yeah. have an English accent, you know. And they'd be like, Okay, now the queen is a bit, you know, like they'd try to sound like it's like, no, come on. So that wasn't working. And then just one day out of the blue, the end of De- 79, I think it was December, my brother and I were in a record store. We were just looking around. And we see this guy wearing a parka, like a mod parka, with tons of pins, long black hair, beard, a hat on. And we're like, who is this guy? And so we're walking around trying to see what the pin said. And we see we see a DOA pin, and we Sick. saw an Avengers pin. And I'm like, who the fuck? I'm saying to my brother, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> we don't, you don't just see punks out and about. Yeah. like. So we were just like, fuck it. So we, I told my my steve was fearless i'd always get him to do shit because uh-huh. i was like too chicken shit i'd say go up and ask him if he's a punk rocker <laughs> so steve goes hey my brother's voice hadn't even changed yet he's like are you are you in a punk rock and and tom was his name he's like yeah and he was like you know you know what are you from here and so i walked over we started talking and we spent two hours just sitting there talking to this guy damn and turns out that he had a the biggest collection of punk rock that we could ever imagine right in Reno, right in our hometown and said, you guys should come over and listen to records. So we went over to his house. He lived, still lived at home. His mom let him turn the garage into his room. And it was just, it was a vault of records. And it was like, he, he, he was later in years. He, he, I think he made, 
a fortune on eBay because he'd just sell. He'd always buy Holy extra copies. But he had the best record collection. And then he introduced us to this guy named Cliff, who's just this nerdy guy that worked at the casinos. He had a, a, another huge collection. So between this, the two, we would go over. We would just spend like punk libraries in yeah, your town. Totally. And they awesome. were great. They would say, "Come on over," and we'd hang mm-hmm. out. And they would drink beer. We would just drink cokes, and then we'd listen. And they let me bring cassettes home over, and I could tape anything I wanted. And any yeah. any underground band that I'd maybe heard of. But I hadn't heard. I could. They had it. Yeah. And that was like the greatest thing that ever happened. That's amazing. We, Steve and I were. You know, we said, "Yeah, we have a band called X Band, and we're, we're just looking for a drummer." And Tom said, "Well, I can. Let me play drums." And we're like, "Oh, yeah, are you a drummer?" And he's like, "Yeah." And turned out he didn't. He'd never played drums, <laughs> but he went right out and bought a drum kit, like right out and wow. learned and tried out, and it was d- good enough to. We're like, "Holy Fuck, shit, this is pretty good." So. That was it. Tom became drummer. We, I, uh, the name just, I forgot exactly where it, well, I know what it, where it came from, but it's just a boring story. Did they have a brother Jimmy that was singing too for a minute or no? Well, yeah. So we, we, we rehearsed with Tom. I played him the songs. Some of them were from the old X band. I had new songs. And then I said, uh, yeah, I just don't want to, I don't want to be the singer. I want to find a singer. And he goes, well, what yeah. about me? How about my, my brother, Jimmy? And we're like, oh, is he a good singer? And he's like, oh, yeah, he's great. And he, <laughs> he, he you know, Jimmy was just a big kid that could just like growl. And, and he was perfect because he could sing with like defiantly and sing, with a snarl, but not have an English accent, you yeah. know, because that's what everybody was doing. And uh, we're like, fuck it. Cool. Two brothers, it, it, two sets awesome. of brothers. You know, we thought it was going to be good. It wasn't. But <laughs> it worked for like the first few months. And J- Jimmy learned the songs. He drank a lot. So it was always like at practice. He just was drinking and he'd get more and more drunk throughout the thing. And then Damn. by the end, I'd be like helping him with lines and singing it and stuff and trying to stay in tune. And it was awful, <laughs> you know, just this little basement, Cliff's basement. But yeah, it was just that was the really where it was all coming together. Like that's where Seven Seconds started. And Dim was the one that, because I said, you know, how about Seven Seconds? And everyone's like, yeah, that sounds good. Dim was the one that first started calling me Kevin Seconds. He just, as a joke. And that's where that all stuck. And then Reno, our friends, few friends that we had would start, hey, it's Kevin Seconds. Yeah. Holy shit, had it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. In 1980s where it started. And so then, wow. We just were on a, that year, within months, uh, we had written a letter to DOA, a postcard I sent and said, hey, you know, you should p- come and play Reno. You know, there's a scene here. And they're really, to come. They're awesome. really with, yeah, we did that with everybody. Black so Flag, cool. we did it. Because we were going down to San Francisco and Sacramento to see shows. And like, yeah. we'd just get in a truck and go down and see Black Flag at Mabue Gardens and Sick. fucking, you know, when Ron was still singing yeah, with him. Yeah. I, I never saw him with Keith. But then DOA would come down, and then that band, The Lewd from Seattle, played. And we were seeing all these bands and mutants, all these great bands we'd read about in these magazines, and they were just in every show. And again, it was in a club. You're right there. Totally. You could, they'd sweat and flip their head, and you'd feel it. You know, so you're like, awesome. holy shit, this is like real life. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> it was like, we'd go up to Reno just with our minds blown, and everybody else was just like, how you doing? What's going on? And we're like, we were just down to the, fuck, we just went to Rough Trade Records and bought $200 of records, you know, like, every, <laughs> it, like nobody was experiencing life the way we were, like, in, mm-hmm. at our age group. They, yeah. they had no idea. And, and if they did find out, they'd be like, why is that fun? 
Like, you know, like, I'm not getting laid out of that, you know, or, or I'm not, you yeah, know, I'm not exactly get, like they just didn't even understand that. Like, no, this isn't about getting laid or being a teenager right now. This is just about like fucking crazy shits going on in the world that, you know, we need to know about. You yeah. Know? That's awesome. You guys are finding these like treasures and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And just meeting people that, that were freaks like San Francisco mm-hmm. back then was like the first time I ever saw you know, a, a transsexual person or somebody, you know, two guys walking, you know, right, holding hands. I'm like, oh my God, there's two guys wa- walking down the street holding hands. Like, it, I, I, you didn't see that in Reno, Nevada, you know? Yeah. So everything was culturally. Was minds and shit, yeah. Culturally, yeah. I mean, even the food. You'd go to an eat food like at a Chinese restaurant and it tasted so different than a Chinese, shitty Chinese restaurant, <laughs> you know? Everything was, it was like going to another country, really. Yeah. And that, you know, some people hated it and they're like, never again, I fuck that town. But I, me, I'm like, I, I want to go. It's, there's something, that I'm, I, something here is telling me I should be doing this, you know? Yeah. And Again, my brother. Yeah, it was just world. You know, is getting a sample of the world without having to go travel thousands of miles away. Yeah, but yeah, that was uh, our reaching out to DOA, and they just came to. They said, "Yeah, we'll come up and play Reno." So that was kind of the the defining. The first DOA show at this little. We tricked out this friend of ours moved into a house, and there was a back house that was a converted garage. And they said, you know, we'd been playing in their basement. We'd been doing these yeah. little weekend parties. And then we said, what do you think about, or they said to us, would you, would you guys want to just turn this into a little club? And we're like, yeah. yes. So That's we just, awesome. we worked on it, built stage, took all, went and stole pallets at stores and, and like egg <laughs> crates and the, you know, egg cartons for the mm-hmm. soundproof and just graffitied it. And what we thought, that's what we thought you're supposed to do. Cause we, we'd see photos of that. Yeah. And we made our own club called the Rad House, and and uh, it lasted for about a year. And we had, I mean, Black Flag, in, right. DOA, uh, because you sent them letters, subhumans. Yeah, that's that's all it took. Crazy, man. Everybody was just waiting for like, because you know the booking <laughs> the booking network wasn't like what it is today. Yeah. Well, it's different now. It's professional, but in the eighties and nineties, when it was there was still a DIY underground thing going totally. on. It, it that was all being started right then and there, yeah. and that was because of DOA, Black Flag, and Dead Kennedys. Yeah. They they went out and figured out how to book Dead Kennedy. I mean, uh, Black Flag and DOA especially because Dead Kennedys were already flying to the new you know New York. I don't think Dead Kennedys were doing the Midwest. They were big and bigger. Yeah, they were just so big that yeah. and they, they were getting press. Like a lot of media loved them. Yeah, DOA and Black Flag were just working guys. They would stuff everybody in a van and go out for two months. Get in and a van. They would play in the middle of Kansas or Texas. Yeah, they're and. Brian. That's who we learned from. That seven seconds early, all the early first twenty years of touring was like, we were always playing cities nobody else would fuck with. Like even I like early, that. that because we learned early on if you go and play in front of like you go in this little town where everybody else ignores, like they're gonna remember it, and the next time you go they'll be double at, and it That's it worked. Smart. It worked like every yeah. single time. So it we learned from the the masters. It, it was all DOA and Black Flag really. But, so yeah. your first tour leaving Reno. Seven uh, seconds first tour. We we did a lot of West Coast, a lot of yeah. uh, San Francisco, Sacramento, Fresno, all the California stuff. Everything except L.A. We had a hard time, like getting. L.A. was so big, you know, and all of they had so many great bands that were already celebrated, yeah. like that were big X and the Alley Cats and the Weirdos. Those they didn't need outside bands to come into town, you yeah. know. And so yeah, um, we would just um, we would there there was no way to really find phone numbers or email. Well, there was no email. What am I talking about? There was no way to find contact information, to be honest with you. So you just you just hoped that somebody you'd, you'd meet 
you know, Joey Shithead was really great about sharing information. Joey uh, Shithead? Yeah. He would, you awesome. could just say, hey, Joey, would you, you know, would you give me numbers for somebody in, in Portland and, and, you know, Eugene and yeah. Southern California? And he'd, yeah, sure, why not? And he'd give you, he just, everybody was so cool about that. And I think they were a little bit older than us, so they just liked that we were kids that were excited about it. And they were yeah. just, you know. And so Black Flag guys were the same way. You could call Chuck or Greg back when SST existed in, in down here, and they would give you, they'd tell you who to talk to in yeah. Las Vegas or whatever. And it's awesome. It was Looking out for the new kids. In absolutely. The yeah. And if they didn't bring you out, like With, yeah. DOA brought us out to San Francisco for the very first time. They saw us. We opened for them in Reno. They loved. They liked it, and they said, you should come play with us in San Francisco. The Mabuhe, which was a dream. That was our CBGBs. Like, yeah. The Mabuhe Gardens was the San Francisco CBGBs at the time. And it was just like, wow, you got to be kidding. We get to play in San Francisco on a weekend night with DOA. That's like, you couldn't ask for a better show. And that's cool because you invited them originally to where you guys were, too. Yep. So that's relationship began. Yeah. And they loved Reno. They, they yeah. were drink, big drinking guys. They loved to gamble. And they, they were cute girls. And they just, the scene was really a great little small, tiny scene, but it was very. Yeah. It, at, you know, very active, and they. I think they liked that we were just young kids that were like putting on shows at a fucking converted garage. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's that's what a lot of like. In, if you didn't live in New York or L.A. or San Francisco, that's what kids were doing. Yeah, that's what kids were doing in Omaha and in fucking everywhere you know. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and up in Canada, you know, if you, I mean, you think about it, if you if you watched another state of mind, you know, these kids were putting on. There was a in Calgary, they had this hotel that they they just they turned into this like venue and they had yeah. skate a skate park there. I mean like that kind of shit kids early on were figuring out how to just do it yourself you know like I, I always had a crush on the girl in um, another state of mind she was a little French one? girl with a shaved head yeah talking about talking like this it was she was so cute in that movie it was in Montreal or something <laughs> was that the one where she's uh I get kicked in the pit I get the, like that. you know what I'm talking about and sometimes they suck their cocks and the, <laughs> She was like she, Yo, she. That was her. Yeah, yeah. She was like she was like a little street girl, and then yeah. like she did tricks. Like there, there was a real sad story. And she was so cute. Though, I know. Man. I wanted to save her. I know. Shit. I've never seen that. I know. Adorable. And and that that was. I don't even know if they intentionally tried to show. Well, they probably did, but it showed so much of how tour life was then. Yeah, dude. It was like pushing a fucking van that into crazy the weird city. Van bus that social distortion had. Oh my god. So what year did that come out? Another state of mind. Because that that was a game changer. That was 82 that would have been 82 and that i to this day i had a by then i had we were on the touring map bands were like calling me to do shows we i rented a an industrial warehouse it was about a like a nah, it was like 18 by something it was like yeah it had a high door you roll up the door and we built a stage and we call we called it well we had a couple of them but the place i had was called the crib and it was just 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 i mean Everything was wrong. We weren't supposed to do any of what we did in there. <laughs> I lied and said, oh, I, I print T-shirts. I, I did, I, yeah. but I didn't do, you know. But we built a stage, graffiti the walls, just always kept the door shut. Like I said, don't ever open the door when there's other tenants Adults, there. yeah. Yeah, like we have to keep this hidden. Cause, and then we even, we early on we learned how to patrol and secure ourselves so that, you know, we'd have somebody that would like every 10 minutes would walk up to the uh, the front of the parking lot and just double check to make sure nobody was in the building because I was booking shows. I mean, yeah. bands were calling me at that point, all the the major, you know, Scream from DC, Detroit, so and cool. like all of those bands were calling me, Stretch Marks from Canada, Personality Christ, like all of these bands were all of a sudden we were on the map. Awesome. And so it was like, all right, that meant everything to me. What so, did you have at that? What release did you have at that time? 
Seven Seconds had, well, I think Skin Sprains and Guts came out in that 82. Was, okay. You know, so that was a first record. So but we had awesome. two cassettes that got, it was crazy. We we had we put out these two, two cassettes in 80 and 81, just homemade cassettes, just filled with songs. And we gave them out. Jello Biafra was one person. It, Jello alone was who opened the door up between us and Henry and Ian. Because awesome. Henry, the first letter I got from Ian, Henry was, I got, I Henry wrote... It, with a letter just said, hey, Biafra turned me on to you guys. Here's uh, my band's State of Alerts. You know, here's a 7-inch. And, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. This is before he joined Black Flag. Right before he joined Black Flag. And then not soon after, Ian McKay, I, I have these letters somewhere. Ian, so cool. Ian wrote and said, hey, I'm, I'm Ian. Henry turned me on. To, he said, Biafra turned me on. And he said, you guys are a great band. And we've been, you know, uh, I just I got I got a new band. I was in a band called Teen Idols. I got a new band called Minor Threat. A new Damn. band. Like Minor Threat. <laughs> oh, just a little new band that just started. And uh <laughs> Here's a, here's a demo. It sent me, and so for once that started, and we heard them, we were like, "Holy shit!" We're kind of trying to do exactly what they're doing out there, like whatever was going on in D.C. and Boston to a certain extent. Yeah. Like all we, we it, there was something intense about the East Coast that we related to far more than like it, it was intense out here. Yeah. But it was still that suburban. The, you can't be too intense when the beach is right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I always thought. And we lived inland. Like we didn't live near. We were we were covered in mountains. Like we didn't have the. It was beautiful, but we didn't have you know, Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. There, there's a. It was grimy, you know, too, grimy, but it, yeah. you know, it's casino grime. It's not yeah. like street, you know, rats. Yeah. And, but yeah, like uh, they uh, that that another state of mind tour was coming through, and I booked that whole tour uh, and Ian Reno at the crib. Social distortion. You booked that uh, tour to came through another state and of mind. We lost it the week of. Oh, we, uh, shit. The guy found out we were doing it, and I had to call Sean Stern and say, "I I can't I can't move it anywhere. There's no place." And we would have been in the film. We would have been. Yeah, in the... that film is so amazing. I know. It's great. I remember seeing it on Nightline, and then like when it came out on VHS, we, we recorded it and stuff. Keep watching over and over again. Yeah, I was so intrigued by all of it, man. It was just like it's just mine and suburbia and, too. Yeah, I'd say suburbia was so. I had a tough time with suburbia because I, I thought it was like. I, I, I thought the director was making fun of punks and, mm. and I, like I know that they were trying to do they were capturing but they were capturing all the exploitative stuff that I hated yeah. about punk rock and so I get it I, but I think I was just a little old like I was old, a little older too and by then I was just like don't try to make us all look like a bunch of clowns you know and yeah, you would do, like, I took it personally like us, I took yeah. it really personally like I hated when the media got a hold of punk and like Saturday Night Live would do punks so like hey you know they'd have a safety pin and it was like That's it was true. all of the stereotype of and that was Sex Pistols punk yeah uh, of course and yeah. that that went that's what the media knew yeah, the media didn't know knew. shit about it. the media didn't talk about it. the Clash weren't exciting enough to talk about you know they were they were kind of a working class like they were just a dudes you know they they, they it took a while you know Clash had to have a hit single before yeah. people were like yeah the Clash you know it's yeah, so kind of underground how about when Fear was on SNL yeah Belushi that was insane yeah that was like a big John big Joseph moment. said it was like a crazy dance floor fight and they ran out the sides into the streets that, and all pretty, of the kids that were there yeah. John Banner you know, like the negative approach minor threat guys were there yeah, like that there was like right. and the, if you just see a still from that you can see like 20 uh, luminaries from the hardcore East Damn. Coast East, not you know Boston kids were all there it was crazy yeah. the whole thing was nuts so you first were out to the East Coast that experience for you guys maybe you said you went you were in New York you were like getting nervous about going to New York for the first time and yeah well yeah because it was all <clears throat> you know Kojak and fucking <laughs> The Warriors, you know what I mean? Like, if you're if you're like from Reno, and Charles Bronson, Death Wish, yeah, like a Taxi yeah. Driver, like it's just oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't imagine New York having anything that's 
pretty, anything that's nice. There's no trees in New York. Like, yeah. you know, like the best you get is, oh, there's Central Park. I've seen it on TV. Like, you really had no idea what New York was going to be like. And so, but we wanted, that's all we wanted to do is go to, we wanted to go to New York and D.C. Yeah. Those are the two, because we, we already had a connection with D.C. Boston, too, but we didn't have as much of a, a, a tight thing with was it guys. hard to get people was it hard to break in boston because it was hard for h2o with our melody because it was such a tougher time when we came uh, maybe not for you but playing in boston no no when, by we it was good timing we, we, so we had i, I tell you it did the the, the 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 two tapes and then our first two seven inches considering how shitty distribution the, the, the distribution was it, it it got out there somewhere. So Without by the time, the yeah, <laughs> right. And so at the, by the time I was able to like get all the numbers I needed to go start calling people to book, let's book to Salt Lake City. All right, after Reno, we go to Salt Lake City. Let's see if there's something in like Nebraska or Kansas. Yeah. And so it, you know, and then again, you know, you're talking. I like uh, Chuck Dukowski, Black Flag. So, you know, call him up. He he would send me a list. I'd wait a week for him. To send me an envelope with just a list of who to talk to. Damn. And, and the numbers, and every one of them panned out. Every single one of them. Like, you call Chuck and da-da-da. And so we were, really we, cool. we were just calling people that they had already dealt with, and they, they would give their blessing. They'd say, that, that kid's cool. You should yeah. talk to him. Our friend Seven Seconds are coming through. Right. Put it on a show. Well, even, but even before they knew us enough to give us any kind of thing, they would just tell us, like, you know, that would be the guy to talk to. He's cool, and he's yeah. gonna. He, his mom will make you food, and they'll let you stay in their basement. Like everything was dead. Ah. It was all dialed in. Yeah. They could have. They could have written a book and then sent us all out with that book, and that would have worked. True. So we we headed out the very first. We'd already done Phoenix, Vegas, all of the West Coast, and then we were like, all right, we have to go to the East Coast. We'd gotten the crew album out, and the crew was like, BYO did an amazing job. Yeah. Distribution. The record, I don't know why there was such a buzz on it when it came out, but when it came out, we got added to like this massive show in, down here uh, at the Olympic Auditorium. Yeah. That's when we first came out with 99 Red Balloons. We hadn't even recorded it yet, and we just Shit. came out with it and just played it in the crowd. We, we also thought we were going to get killed. Like We thought that, that, that people were going to make fun of us because it was a yeah. pop song and that we were going to get killed, and then we played in the whole... Five thousand people just erupted. Like that's amazing, and sang. You know, you know. That must like, be an amazing feeling. It was. Man. A, we'd never had. We first of all, we never played in front of that many people, and it was like with the UK subs and TSOL. We were playing with all these big. This is bands. a crew album, right? Yeah. Okay. And so, well, no, no, it was. Uh, I'm sorry, it was pre-crew because Damn. the photo, the cover of the the crew album was taken that night Holy from shit. my then girl from Michelle. She took it. It was a real, just a black and white photo, yeah, and, I love I, and and loved it so much. I'm like, we have to use that for something. And so when Damn. we, so, so that was '83. That was the, Holy so we shit. committed for life was out. That's okay. that's you know. So not only had did we like we were way like before the album came out. So you were but building a buzz. We had already rounds. yeah we were playing at Cathay de Grand, the Vex, and in in down deep into like you know like. Uh, just gang, you know, back then, yeah. like venues were, you just played wherever you could play. Totally. Uh, Jackie Robinson at YMCA in San Diego was just in this horrible neighborhood. But they, for whatever reason, the neighborhood would leave the punks alone. They'd just be like, yeah, they're fuck ups. Let them do it their thing, you know? I guess. I don't know. The they they yeah. didn't fuck with us for whatever reason. But yeah, we were already really establishing ourselves on the West Coast. And so the crew, so shit. So the crew album came out and just, we could feel a buzz. Flipside, 
did a poll. I think we tied with some other band at best album of the year. That's so crazy. We got no internet or nothing, just magazines. Just magazines. And word of mouth and just it spread. That's really cool. Well, and we just got lucky. All the major zines, Max Rock and Roll, Flipside, uh, Leading Edge in San Diego, all the major zines that were important to us in the underground loved us. They they were like, this is a band you have to check out. And so everyone talked about us, which was great. On the underground scene, and so by the time I was getting on the phone, people are like, "Oh, dude, I've heard of you guys. You're great. I've heard. I got the demo, and I heard, yeah. I just heard Committed for Life and Skin's Brains Guts. Racism sucks. That's great. You know, people were talking. So it wasn't hard to book that tour, and it was a two month tour. The Damn. first tour was two months long, and and we didn't even know. I didn't. I hadn't bought a van yet. I didn't know if I could afford to buy a van. And uh, tr- one of Troy's friends, just a, a kind of a stoner surfer friend from San, uh, uh, Santa Cruz. Jerry said, "Hey man, I got this VW bus. <laughs> uh, let me. I'll go. Let's go. I'll take you. We, awesome. I'll drive. And then so we're like, all right, fuck it. Well, he didn't yeah. tell us it was a '58 VW bus, <laughs> 1958, <laughs> like a shit. vintage bus. Yeah. And there was no room. You couldn't tow anything because there was no tow. You know. Yeah. So we put our amps, uh, the the cabinets down on the ground. Put our all of our T-shirts and our and soft shit on top of the amps, and that's where we slept and." If for two fucking months, you know. Damn. And we were out doing, we went to Salt Lake City, played with DOA, went, like, all every show was great. And even the ones we headlined, there was just a buzz. Like, we came to Kansas City, we were headlining, Sam Hain was opening for us, so we're supposed to. Holy shit. Danzig, Danzig got upset the day of. We were, we were staying at the promoter's house, and Keith was his name, and he said, he booked us at a VFW hall, and he said, well, I'm, you know, the whole city is so excited that you guys are here. And he goes, I got a, I got bad news, though. Glenn Danzig's bummed that you guys are on the higher on the bill. And we, and we love the Misfits, so we're like, I, fuck it, they I don't care. Your name, though. Huh? <laughs> yeah, your name. yeah. Fuck them. I'm, you know, no, but he was, you know, he was, you know, was, Glenn Danzig was pissed because we were above him. So no way. I, he said, would you mind switching? And I'm like, no, I don't give a shit. We, we love the Misfits. So we switched, but, it was our crowd. The crowd yeah, went nape shit, and then they were doing just awful shit to girls. They they were doing just being dicks and yeah. just being shitty. So, I, for me, it was like you know what? We stole the fucking show. Everyone knew that we were there because we just you know it was just and they gave respect to the headline whatever. Absolutely, yeah. I, we didn't have any problems with that. And I yeah. actually met Glenn the next day. We all turned out they were staying at the house too. So no way. Yeah, it was it was a long night, and then the next <laughs> morning I woke up. I just I'm, I'm sleeping on the floor, and I wake up and. And and Keith and Glenn are sitting on the couch. Glenn's eating cereal and they're watching wrestling on TV. And I'm wow. just like, you know, and and he, that's when he introduced us. And, and Glenn was super nice. I mean, Jer- all of those, all of the Misfits guys over, since then have been really sweet to us. Yeah. Like I, I've never had any issues with them. But yeah, it was that tour was just magical in a way because it was just everything was just kind happening before our eyes. Like yeah. it wasn't just shit we were reading about or listening to. It was like. <clears throat> oh shit, we're really doing this. Like and we're heading to New York, which is like with a CBGB's matinee show, <laughs> which Sick. is insane. Yeah. And with fucking Agnostic Front and Murphy. Like it like the the bet you couldn't get any better at that moment. Yeah. And so uh we're in Boston with fucking the FUs. We're like all we're playing with all the key bands. Yeah. And uh the New York unfortunately the CBGB's didn't show didn't happen because for a couple reasons. One, supposedly there was a bomb threat okay. of the show. That somebody told you about that, right? Yeah, somebody... Well, there was a rumor that I've heard throughout over the years that it was a rumor that it was based on some fact, but it just got it just got twisted around. And I this thought was, you got a phone call. There was no, you had a cell phone. No, though, so, I got yeah. a phone. Fo- I, I got... Uh, Tim Yohannan from Action Rock and yeah. Roll was trying to get a hold of me, and 
and so he called us through clubs or somebody I don't even know, but I got a hold of him and he said, "Hey, you know, I don't know if you know, but they're you know the Agnostic Front guys, you know, they got some weird ties to some bad shit, and and so the Jewish Defense League are are there's talk of a you it's know crazy. just crazy shit, <laughs> and us being fucking Reno fucking Hicks, basically, we're like, fuck, what the you know what we just want to play music, like we're yeah. playing, we're we're finally playing fucking legendary CBGBs, yeah. And, so we were in Boston the night before. We played a matinee show in Boston. We stayed at a house. Our guitar player, Dan, left with a girl, disappeared all night long, and nobody knew how to get a hold of him. We're like, did you see him leave? And then this is, you know, no f- cell phone. No, so no, so it, I couldn't even call. And, they, and, and, and to, the, to its credit, the Boston scene, all of the key people that we met who are still our friends, Mark, who was Slapshot drummer, yeah. you know, Mark. I mean, we're still good friends. And Reverend Hank, Rev yeah. Hank, and all those guys. They were like looking out. They're like, "Well, fuck. Maybe we'll call over at so and so's house." And finally, our our guitar player shows up. You know, just all uh, you know, he hung out with a girl all all night long. And yeah. we're like, "Dude, we have a CB's matinee show. Like matinee means today, like yeah. not tonight." So we got on the road, and I'm I'm trying to call, stop and use a payphone to call people to find out if the show's even happening. And yeah. and, and somebody said, I, "As far as I know, it's off." So we're like, well, fuck, what do we do? So we just kept driving. We try to call CBGBs. There's no, <laughs> like, hello, CBGB. You know, there's yeah. no, nobody's there. So we're just like, this is awful. And uh, the van, something happened with the van. Anyway, we ended up being late. And uh, the show, uh, we got to New York. I don't remember exactly because I have photos of us. I have to talk to Steve. My brother would know this. My yeah. brother's memory is insane. But we got there and we took photos of ourselves standing in front of CBGBs, but there was no show. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it, it couldn't have been, I mean, it, it was, I don't know what happened at that point, but we missed the show. No show. We didn't play. Yeah. I think the show happened as far as I know. Yeah. The flyer is legendary. Like to this day, I've had people go, I saw you guys when you played with Agnostic Front. And it was like, we, no, didn't, we didn't play that. No, night. we didn't play that show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So did you get to meet those guys then at all? Agnostic Front, nothing. Nobody was around. No. no, but it was around. It was just a very set. Whoa, that just I'm, went up. I'm really. fixing that, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was a very lonely, sad, scary Lower East Side night. We were just like, what now? We're here in New York. We don't have any. I think we ended up going to, uh, we had friends in Jersey that we stayed with, I yeah. think, that night that had said, come over and stay. You yeah. don't want to stay in the city and that kind of thing. So, And then D.C. was after that, right? Yeah, D.C. We played the Wilson Center with uh, fucking bad uh, Black Flag. Wow. And artificial oh, piece, I, I don't remember, but it was a big show, Wilson. And I, I'll always remember just pulling up, and then um, this rider truck pulls up and parks in front of us, and then the driver gets out and opens the fucking pant the back door, and all of, all of these dudes just stream out. Damn. Black flag. It was all Holy of them. The shit. band, Sacrin, like all the bands that were touring with Sacrin them. Trust. That's how they toured. They would just cram everybody into a van or a truck, and then they would all use the same equipment. Yeah. G- Greg Ginn built a lot of it, the stuff, you know? Yeah. And they were just a machine, and they piled in, and Henry, by that point, Henry was in the band, and, uh, and, uh, whoa. and uh, we met like <laughs> Lefty, the, the Nazi skinhead, the black skinhead. <laughs> That night, Yo, yeah, we scary, met. Her. She man. used to write me all the time because she was. She used to do comics for my. I had a zine, and she used Come to draw. On, I didn't know Lefty was even a woman. She Lefty would draw these fucking comics, and then I'd print them in my zine. It was always like skinheads walking down the street, and you know. And then I, she goes, "Hey, I'm Lefty," and she had a big cigar in her mouth. I'm like, "What?" But you're black and you're a woman. <laughs> so what the I remember fuck? her. She was scary, man. <laughs> fucking huge, yeah. She was really scary back then. 
Yeah. There were some characters out there. Oh, yeah. Real real people, man. Like, really, truly crazy, you know, just characters that you couldn't write, yeah. you know? I just remember one time we did play CBs, and we were just all hanging out outside, Sunny Matinee, and just all the kids sitting on, like, all these kids across the street and on that little island yeah, and totally. just everywhere. And just it just dawned on me. I'm like, this is just like, this, this is one place, this is one part of the earth where, the, like, punks have just taken over. Like, if anyone right. came along right now and tried to fuck with this, they'd be yeah. dead. Like, there's no, you couldn't, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was, it was something really cool about the whole thing. Was that your first time, guys, first time meeting Ian, too, then? Uh, in, in real life? No, well, let's see. No, because they, mine are started to come out twice oh, shit, to the okay. West Coast, and, and I booked them uh, twice in Reno. And Damn, they play Reno. That's crazy. Yeah, they wanted to play Reno. They they heard good things, and they the first time we booked them in a backyard, my friend Janelle's backyard, like this suburban cute house with a big backyard, and we I tried to rent a hall. I tried to rent halls. I couldn't. And then I I was telling Ian, I'm like, look, we, you know, at this point, all the warehouse options that I've I used to have, I don't have anymore. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, well, just book, just find something. So we were like. All right, so we booked them in this backyard, Holy sunny shit. day. It was outside. It was a beautiful day, and just <laughs> seven seconds in minor threat. I think it was another local band, Expelled. I think played, and uh, there's photos, not a lot, but there's some I'd black and white photos. They're great. They're just Holy just like a me and Steve just like singing like with them and stuff. And and then the next time around, they came and played this. I booked them in this place called the Space Theater, and it was actually a, they did plays. But they the guy loved punk rock, and he's like, if you want to, I booked MC, I booked MDC and a few other bands there, but. Yeah, we were lucky, and then Minor Threat always hooked. They, you know, hooked us up with shows in Sacramento yeah. and the Bay Area, and um, they were kind of like our, you know, not. I mean, we we're different, but they were like our, you know, we got along really well, yeah. all of us. And yeah. Ian and I, you know, I I love Ian. He's he's one of the best human beings on the planet. And, yes, I agree. You know, people always say, yeah, but he was kind of a dick to me, and I'm like, I'm sure he had a reason. I'm sure you. You know, stared at him and acted like a weirdo. Or, you know, like <laughs> Ian's not an unreasonable person. He's a pretty straightforward guy. I don't. I yeah. think you know. But yeah, yeah. And then was, walk together, rock together. How soon after that that come out? That was the next pretty, year. Pre, yeah, we, fast, when we right? were on the '84 tour, we recorded with Ian at Inner Ear. That's right. And that we recorded the uh, just the songs with the sole intention of making an EP. Yeah, we we were so into the idea of doing an EP, like even the crew. We wanted before we wanted our first record on Beware to be an EP, and they're like, "You got to do an album." But <laughs> I, I wanted. We had nine songs that were just brilliant. They're great. They sounded great, yeah. and they, it was Ian. You know, did a great job, and Don Zientero. Everything was perfect. And then you know, the whole thing of changing it into an album with live tracks was really just. It was supposed to only happen in Europe as in a sort of an introduction to us, so that we yeah. we were going to try to go over there way earlier than we did. And they just wanted to have like studio stuff and then live stuff. Yeah, it just they weren't good live. They weren't great live tracks, and it was never. And they changed the cover, you know. And to this day, that's the only real beef I've ever had with BYO is that they kind of did that without like us asking us, you yeah. know. And it caused a little problem, a few problems with us and Brian Walsby, who did the art, which is iconic. They have first I album cover. It, yeah. It's brilliant. And when he, he gave that to me as he drew it and gave it to me. And he's like, hey, check this out. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Wow. I think we and I said, can we make a t-shirt out of him? He's like, yeah, whatever. And then we said, this gotta be the record, you know. So it kind of just awesome. it kind of tainted the that release. But that was recorded in eighty four and then we came home and we were just like a well oiled machine. We'd gotten our first tour under our belt and we really were feeling good. And there was just 
zines were writing about us, and everybody was like, yeah, Seven Seconds, you got to see Seven Seconds, they're a great live band. And so we came home with just a lot of confidence, and 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 Reno said, you guys are rock stars, fuck you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, because we were the only band out of there, and we were... so proud of you guys. They were, they were eventually, but it was like, yeah. you have to understand that we were the, not only were we the, the band that played all the time, we were the band that that actively said, this is our scene, this is our community. Like, we were trying to make Reno a scene. Schino. Yeah, we were making something, and... You it, put it on the map, man. Well, it just, there was nothing going on, you know? Yeah. And and so we, it, we, in order to not, you know, kill ourselves or whatever, we were just like, we have to do something. We're stuck in the city, so... Yeah. And luckily, there was another few kids that felt the same way, and we just bonded together and made this little fun scene, and, and bands... They loved it, so it, it it helped out a lot, and it helped that we were really serious and took ourselves seriously, and totally, and and just wanted to be a good band. We yeah. didn't want to just sound like a shitty punk band. We were like, let's just be, let's try to make this good, you know, like so that whatever you know, whether you liked it or not, you know, we we worked our asses off on it, and it, and just you know, there's always a little local jealousy. Like we totally. went out, and people we weren't we weren't Reno's band anymore. We're all yeah. of a sudden like people were going, you know. There, you got to check this band out, and the I think whole U.S. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and even even back then, even though it took us forever to get to Europe, like kids were writing. We were getting letters from Australia and Japan, and like just to the point where I couldn't even keep up. I was the only one answering letters, and, and I couldn't do it. I was just like, I don't, I just don't know. I can't write. I can't sit down and write. I couldn't even afford the postage. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I'm still working and trying to have you know make money and stuff. Were you and, working in between those tours? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I was always like odd, weird jobs. I, you know, park. I was a valley parking attendant, and I did. You know, I worked at. Fuck, I, I worked everywhere in Reno, like every <laughs> casino. Steve, the minute he turned sixteen, he was legal to he 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 wasn't much for school, so he's like, I got, I'm going to work. I just want to work. You know, so Damn. we we were just. It was easy in Reno. Yeah. It was easy to be. You yeah. could always get a dishwasher job or like a. A ch- you could you know, once you turn twenty one you could work in you know as a change person they always needed it and yeah it was it was a it was a, it was fun at first because you could just always work but then it, it it's easy to get caught up in this grind you know mm-hmm. but yeah I was working I worked at Kmart I worked at Montgomery I was doing anything Montgomery I could Rewards yeah I remember that place yep. yep so when you guys started going tour you started getting <laughs> we playing mass with really big shows back then. When the buzz started happening, like thousand thousand people in only only in L.A. Really, like yeah. L.A. L.A. Just golden gold. We were on Golden Voices radar. Golden Voice, yeah, they loved us, and once they realized that we were a headliner, they would just book us. Probably one. I mean, I'm not even kidding. It felt like we played once a month, headlining at Fender's Ballroom, at, which is a big place. Yeah, and if you look at any old Fender's Ballroom flyers, it wasn't like. You know, oh, there's, you know, just one band that I know. Look, I know those guys, and there's a bunch of... It was like, okay, look, it's Seven Seconds, Adolescence, DRI, yeah, Youth of the Day. Like, it was... Every show was stockpiled, and it yeah. was $7, you know? Like, yeah. So every show was just weight, just he- heavyweights, and they just got better and better, and, and but they got also got just scarier and, like, more violent, and that was at the height of all the crazy gang shit going on in L.A. Not just the real street gangs, but the punk rock gangs. Yeah. And and we were in the middle of it because we had friends that were connected with all of that stuff. Like yeah. every show, literally, the, the main people that would were kind of the leaders of that show would come up and say, hey, bro, what's going on? It's good. To, I'm glad you're here. So we talked about it earlier. Uh, yeah. we, like they were friends of ours, yeah. you know? And the thing was is they were always on their best behavior with us because they just, they loved us and they didn't want us 
to see that side. And, you know, they knew that we were against it. We sung songs up against it. Yeah. And we talked, I talked, I would piss my bandmates off because I would talk for 10 minutes about it. I love and, that. And so, well, it was probably really boring, but it, 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 I couldn't handle walking around afterwards and just seeing blood, you know, like, yeah. or just seeing some kid get carted off and just, totally. it was like, this is a punk rock fucking show, man. We're yeah. like, this is no, the, when did the battle thing, you know? And, and I remember one time just, I tried to get in the middle of it. There was like suicidal people and the lads were a big deal and yeah. fight for freedom, all these different little cliques. And everybody at a big show like that, no matter who was playing, they were all out and ready to go, <laughs> you know, yeah. the family and all that stuff. And it was just, um, we we just didn't we tried so hard to like I would literally try to go to every person that was perceived as a leader and say talk to him hey bro can you do it just please do us a solid and like just just let, let's just keep let's try to work out so that kids don't get fucked up tonight, tonight you know, like, yeah. but please like I know you have beef with these guys yeah all I ask is it just if if just tonight if you could just hang not do it for three hours you know like I would do that and and a lot of times they'd listen man they'd be like you know I hear what you're saying you know but yeah you have walk together rock together though the song is about that stuff I know but you know That's you're crazy, they're, they're, you're young you're caught up in it and a lot of these kids are just not they didn't have great lives in the first place and this the first time they felt a sense of belonging and same with worth. you though yeah but I I went in a different direction yeah, I, yeah, I figured yeah. out my I figured yeah. out well I figured out what, I I guess early on I figured out what pleases me and makes me happy yeah some of these kids it took them a little longer and and I know friends that to this day will say man I miss fighting. <laughs> You know, like they mean it. They're like, I, I was good at it. I love yeah. to fight. I was good at it. And I knew was never good at fighting. So it was like, I guess early on, I just figured, okay, I'm not good at that. So might as well. And I should have been, yeah. uh, you know, I was raised by, you know, bikers and, and shit. Like I, I should have been a lot tougher than I, but there was something about me that was just a little too you know, soft and emotional, you know? <laughs> me I mean, it, it took me a long time to have to fucking face that. Yeah. And, and it was kind of a bummer. I wanted to be tough. <clears> I, <throat> I did. I was I was a part of a subculture that was based on it, seeming, seemingly so. But again, I always go back to The Clash. Like, The Clash were a, a, a breath of fresh air. It was like there was something very um, sensitive and thoughtful about the lyrics yeah, and totally. just the way they the melody that they had and they weren't afraid to do something like dude has been working for the drugs and you know it was a silly yeah. goofy song but they weren't afraid to do that kind of stuff and i thought shit man they're pun- as punk as you can get you know totally. in my mind so i don't know i just i started i tried to look for the other things that were maybe not as obvious you know because it you know but i was drawn to you know i got to say and this is you can probably you know i don't know if you talk about this but since things are so different now and things are pretty safe feeling. Totally. I, I do find myself kind of going, God, I wish there was a little more danger. In yeah. There. <laughs> you know, it was like scary going to CBGBs in those bands. Yeah. Just getting there. Yeah. Probably. It was totally scary, man. Yeah. Like, there was a vibe and energy there. You didn't know what was going to happen. Like, don't fuck with that kid. Those was the local guy. Like, you knew who like to respect and stay away from and mind your business, but sing along and have fun and, well, and don't you're in the, that guy. <laughs> and you're in fucking New York City where I they're, know, like, if, even if you're, like, just not even thinking about punk rock at the day, at the, back then. Outside, too, yeah. Like, Lower East Side was pretty fucking scary, you yeah. know? But 
Yeah, you had all of that. All of the elements were already in, and then you had the cops who hated you, and the totally. fucking rednecks and the Marines. Yeah. Like, there was always somebody that hated you, and so it didn't make sense that we would just hate each other so much that we'd have to fucking fight at inside like, the venue. Yeah, or I'd even say, "Go do what gangs do, and go meet at a fucking spot away from here and yeah. beat the shit out of each other if yeah. that's what you guys need to do." And it was like it was never going to happen. It was just you know, and and it just it was disorder. It was just a bummer. I yeah. I. I I, I felt I didn't feel responsible ever, but I just felt so like powerless fuck. Powerless. I mean, we're powerless. Yeah, we're not. We're not even getting through to to any. I mean, we were, but not we even just, some of your friends. Yeah, nobody. At some point, <laughs> people just stopped fucking. They were like, I guess this is what we're here for, you know. And, and it was growing. There was more and more people every yeah. every show, but the it was shows. just like this is not right, man. This Got more is, violent. Something's wrong. Something we're did, missing. Did people connect like to walk together, rock together, and like not just voice when back then? Did they did they get it? Were they? Because nobody, I don't know. No, nobody was thinking about <laughs> shit like that back then. I don't know. To be honest with you, like, did girls come up to you and say, "Oh my god, thanks yeah, for that song"? Yeah, like, yeah, and and we and we drew a lot of girls, and yeah. and, we, and so that was. I think that's how I think we. I think girls hopefully felt safe at a seven second show. Yeah, and 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 knew that we encouraged them to get right up in the front, and would always, you know, if I saw a girl singing down, I would always say. Come on, get up here. You know, don't yeah. like it's not just us and dudes. You know, you hold your boyfriend's jacket and shit. Yeah. yeah, because that's what I think we talked about this earlier. That we came from a little scene where predominantly the the, the earliest supporters of of Seven Seconds and punk rock were all girls. Yeah, they were. Uh, it was our first show was a week ago, thirty nine years ago. Holy shit! Uh, yesterday, March 9th, we played our second show um, at the same exact place a week later with the zeros from who were amazing. How many years ago was that? Thirty nine. Holy shit! Yeah. So that was so the March second, nineteen eighty, was our first show, and and predominantly it was just there were these. It was girls that we'd met f- from going to the Rocky Horror Picture Show because <laughs> then that was the that was the hotbed of if you were a. A black, a freak in in their totally. eyes. That's where you went. Even if yeah. you didn't like the movie or you didn't like the music, yeah. you just went there because it was like you were part. You were hanging out with a bunch of other crazy people, mm-hmm. and everybody was kind of cool and friendly. Like nobody was like standoffish. And you know, I went. We, my brother and I went because there was always cute girls that would show up, and we like we weren't we weren't hanging out with yeah. you know. So everything about it was just fun and exciting, and just kind of a, a, an escape from just living in Reno at the time. So, yeah, to go and play like we did and see all of it's just all guys. We were like, what the fuck? We're the girls, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. So I think it did. I think I remember just reading zine, like letters to the like Max and Rock and Roll, and a girl would say, you know, thank, thankfully some bands are speaking out against, you know, sexism and stuff. And I remember feeling very proud of that. And yeah, it should be. Not really feeling like I, you know, I, I, ne- I never took any, I don't take credit for that kind of stuff because I think it all comes from like, just being raised by, uh, you know, a, mo- a single mom and stuff. It's good seeing you. Just being raised by a single mom who just, you know, despite whatever flaws, she was strong and and yeah. instilled something in us that that said hate hating people for color of your skin or what sex you are or sexual yeah. preference, like not is not good. It's not going to work that's in a, my household. That, that's <laughs> the same thing my mom said on my podcast. That all I wanted my. Th- all I wanted was my three boys to be kind Aww. and not see color. And That's she did great. a good job. I and mean, she did Absolutely. that for us. Because like, she was raising three boys. She said she said she was raised in a really race, uh, uh, a racist, violent environment from her dad. So like, she yeah. didn't want that for her kids. I think that what stuck with us the most growing up. She was saying with you. How, right? how, old is your, how old is your mom, if you don't mind? It's like you. 70, I don't know, 74 or something. Okay, so yeah. my mom, our moms are close in age, I think, yeah. you know. It's... 
I'm, I'm really, I try to imagine, imagine their lives growing up and the totally. stuff that they had to watch and, and witness. And the same thing with her, her dad. He was just an old, you know, racist guy. He was a sweet guy, yeah. but he was just, he just had, he, he, he just learned to be like, oh, it's, this is the way we talk, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, my mom, one particular is after Martin Luther King was assassinated, my mom was destroyed, just devastated and inconsolable. She couldn't handle it. And I yeah. didn't under, even understand what was going yeah. on. I, I, I thought it was a doctor. I was like, a doctor? Who, what, doctor what happened? Yeah. You know, I didn't know. I didn't understand the significance. And, she was and, super and yeah, just, you know, this was, she was liberal, very, you know, she was college educated and, and just, you know, was still idealistic even after, you know, becoming a mom and married and stuff. And, yeah. And, my grandfather just made some awful derogatory comment. We were all sitting. We went to their house for dinner, and uh, he said something at the dinner table that was just awful. And my mom said, "Screw this, we're leaving," and didn't talk to her dad for years Damn, because powerful. of that. And I didn't even, you know, for me it was like, "Well, grand, grandma, and grandpa have the horses. And we like we're not going to go there anymore," you know. Yeah. But later on, I really started to understand, and and even more so, her own brother. Her older brother was gay, openly gay, oh, and her, their dad disowned him and said awful things and and really Damn. put his own son through the ringer. Like, really just didn't... My grandfather had a change of heart before he died, and yeah. that was kind of an interesting. But, um, yeah, my uncle Bud was like, uh, you know, he, he, would, he and his partner Tony would come to our house for Christmas and bring us toys, and we loved both of them. And totally. it was like Uncle Bud and <laughs> Uncle Tony, you know. <laughs> I had no idea, and I, I yeah. would have had to learn how to not like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I would have had to learn why that's the wrong thing. And, totally. And I, there was something about having a mom that just said, you know, you, you know, I she never forgave my her own father because of the way she, he treated his son. Yeah. And when I was old enough to understand, she explained that. And this is long before, you know, we didn't talk about this kind of stuff and there was no L, LGBT, you know, like nobody talked yeah. about any of this stuff. And it, it was huge. Like, mm-hmm. I, I it helped groom me for the idea that, like, there's really no reason that I need to feel threatened or weird about this shit. And you saw the guys walking down the street holding hands. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That was just culture shock. That's yeah, like yeah. Totally. living in Sacramento, Reno, and not ever seeing that. And like, I wasn't bummed. Yeah. I wasn't upset. I, I was just like, holy shit, we're in a real city. You know, yeah. like, I mean, that, that was, I wasn't, I was excited. I was yeah. like, this is, this is like people are just doing their thing. Yeah. Like I, I my heart's always been that way. I mean, I mean like I just want to live in a place where it, yeah, as long as you're not hurting anybody mm-hmm. and you're not like incro- like I'm, you're not getting in my space to do your thing. Yeah. What do I give a shit for? I've had this I conversation. I was I was hanging out with a group of friends. This wasn't even that long ago. It was at a restaurant in Sacramento that used to at every Wednesday night there was a, a a club that had this gay dance thing, and they'd all 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 of the patrons from the the dance club would come over to this late night restaurant and eat, and it was people dressed in drag and crazy. Yeah. We would go there because it was just like fuck it, this is the best show ever. Totally. You know, we're eating, we're hanging out, socializing, and then we're watching like you know seven feet dudes dressed like Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe, whatever. It's awesome. Never did I ever even consider it being weird. I was just like, yeah, yeah it doesn't bother. Me and I remember going uh, eating, and a friend got up to use the restroom and came back. And he's like, "God, that's fucking disgusting." And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, eh, "There's two guys in the bathroom kissing." And I'm like, "I was like, 
are you really fucking bummed out? Like, <laughs> like, did they try to kiss you? And he's like, no, nah, man, it's just, you know, I'm not a, I don't, I don't, I'm not homophobic, but you know, just kiss at home. And I'm like, well, what about if you're with your girlfriend or your wife? Totally. You know, if you had somebody tell you you can't kiss them, wouldn't that piss you off? Totally. You'd fight them. You'd yeah. go and fight them. Yeah. And and he just couldn't understand that. And 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 even my most, one of my closest friends, who was there, like you know, it was going. Is there? It really doesn't bother you. Like I can't remember the question. But it's like, <laughs> are you really for real? That doesn't gross you out at all. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I don't. I don't like. I really don't trip on it. I don't give me. a shit. I yeah. don't like. I like. It, it would be just as it, like I have to accept the fact that, and when I kiss my wife in public, that might be grossing somebody else out. I don't want to think about that shit. I know. I don't. Yeah, you, know, you know, like I mean, I'm not gonna be. We're not gonna fucking shove our tongues down each other, you know. <laughs> you know, I get society and how that yeah. works, but I'm like, I don't want someone to tell me that I can't be affectionate with someone I love. Mm-hmm. And so let's try to think about that in another way <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I don't trip on it. It's just not something that I ever wanted to bother with. No, I don't you care know? Either, man. Like, I've had friend, too many friends that I, I love and people in my life that I just... You know, I can't be a hypocrite and go, well, they're okay. You know, Uncle Bud's okay because he gave me toys when I was a kid. You know, like, exactly. fuck that, you know? <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, all right, so let's get back to 99 Red Balloons. You said the reason, like, what, what inspired that? I mean, we see you saw the video, and then the first time playing it, the reaction was amazing. Yeah, just the video was, was adorable, it's and I, I thought song, she, was, she was so cute. And so I, cute. It was just weird, remember? If you think back on how weird, how it was even filmed, it looked like it was filmed on, back it was the early days of video, you know, it wasn't very professional, really. Yeah. And it just, there was something cool about this little weird German band that was trying to, they had this anti-war video. And Were you watching on MTV at the point? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. MTV, we didn't get MTV for a year after it went out everywhere else. <laughs> oh, shit. We, Reno kids, Reno punk rock kids would drive up to Lake Tahoe. This is how we we started clicking with, there was a little South Lake Tahoe uh, punk rock scene. That's how we met Troy and Dan. Okay, awesome. They were up from Tahoe, and they lived in, in these great little, like, A-frame houses. And they, yeah. they, everybody skied and everybody, yeah. you know. And so we'd go up there for the weekend, and it was, it, one person would say, all right, everyone can converge in my house. My parents are gone. We can play music. We can, fuck, you know, listen to music, and then we'll just watch TV all night long. It was, like, a huge thing, because yeah. we, we'd never s- saw that before. Yeah. And it was just, like, we didn't have it in Reno, so we'd go, we'd make a whole weekend out of it and watch just fucking tear up Motley Crue video, <laughs> whatever it would play. We'd just be like, yeah. oh, look, it's Phil Collins, you know? And like, nothing was, it wasn't even, it was, it was great. But that video came out, and I remember just being like, this is so weird. The song is weird. The, yeah. the, and I couldn't wait for it to see it again. You'd have to wait sometimes for it to come back. And I just loved it so much, and I just, one time we were at practice, and I, I figured out the dun, 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 which yeah. I'm not a single note guitar player guy at all, but I figured it out. And I, whoever was playing... I guess it was Dan Posnack was I said, just just figure it out. Da, 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 da. So we started to do it. Steve hadn't gotten there yet. We were waiting for Steve to show up at practice. And then we started to mess around with it a little bit. And then we I said, we should speed it up. Like da 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 And then we just fucked with it. And then Steve got there and Steve loves just poppy melodic music anyway. So I didn't think it was gonna be a tough sell with him. And he he was just like, Oh, okay. You know, he started doing his thing and then it became I, the, the minute the band said, Hey, this is pretty cool, I I knew we had something f- cool, you know. It works so good too, man. It's just fun. And then the whoa it was like it was perfect for that's you guys. that was our thing. And so I was just like 
it's built for us. You know, it's a song, a cover song. We never really were big on, you know, we did If the Kids Are United, we did totally. Boots Are Made for Walking at some point. We did, you know, but we never really were like, let's do covers. And that one just made sense to Especially me. you have a pop song on MTV, like... Nobody, yeah, nobody's doing shit like that. Well, that's the thing, and and it was also sort of like it was like in Reno, uh, the tougher punks were like, "Fuck that pussy song! Why are you doing that song?" You know, and and then, you know, oh, I get it, you're making fun of it. I'm like, no, nah, we're not really. To be honest with you, we're not doing it to shit on we it. We like it, <laughs> like we like it, and and I mean, there were there were there's a lot of songs. We 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 were at this right around the same time we were trying to do "Boys Don't Cry" with the Cure. And oh, we shit. figured out another version. We just never recorded it, and that it would never. Be sick. It was just like it. It was just like fun stuff that would make it fun for us to do, and and just make us a little less typical. And because yeah. we we weren't like the most unique. We weren't that original sounding. Like nothing was. We hadn't really found our sound. We still had elements of like little DOA, a little minor threat. Like all of our all the we were fans. Our, totally. Everything that we listened to, we just kind of soaked up. You know. Yeah. So we were just. This is at the time where we were really kind of defining our sound. Not thinking about it just trying to just find a way to you know we practiced a lot and, and yeah. we played we were playing so many shows it was just it was hard to even find time to practice so yeah yeah it, was, it just was an accident and 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 my i remember when people said are you gonna play that show in la you guys are gonna get killed and i was like why would kids be pissed off and then more <laughs> people said that and i'm like should I, am I should be should I be thinking about this? Like, should I be scared? Yeah. Like, did I miss something? Is it like maybe they're German? Maybe I didn't know they have Nazi roots. I like I didn't know. I didn't understand why people would be so up. I'm like, it's a cute song. What do I? You Were know, you worried about playing it there? Or not? A little bit, and then and we just said, let's just do it. We played it at that that it's show, at the, awesome. and like I said, the place went nuts. And from that day forward, it Damn. was never. Uh, it was really. It became just as much our song as it was theirs. Did they ever contact you, the artist or anything? Or no, no. Bio had to contact them for the publishing stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'd heard through the grapevine that she, she, uh, uh, Nana is her. Her birthday is exactly my birthday, same year, day, and month. Holy shit! Yeah, that's weird. So you didn't even know that back then. Uh, it was the weirdest that's thing. Fucking crazy. Yeah, and then <laughs> uh, my ex girlfriend had had had. I think she wrote to her, and and Nina had, had acknowledged that she liked our version of it and thought it was yeah. cool and stuff. But um, yeah, it just was a funny, silly song that just worked. And and I never wanted to, you know, I never got sick of it. People go, "You must have, you must be so sick of playing Walk Together, Rock Together, and Young Till I Die." And I was like, no, I, I'm, I, you have to believe me, I'm not. Like those songs, sometimes we're having it. There'll be a lull, and if we that, that song's next on the list, I'm like, yes, I know this song is great. I know the yeah. crowd knows it's great, and we just we, it just it all focuses in on that. You know, 99 Red Balloons is one of those songs, and it's just great. Fucking Ian's all over it. You know, if you yeah. listen, you can hear his oh, voice. Shit. And, just it, it was. So he's it was, singing on that too, on the cover. Huh? He's singing on the cover of that. You mean he's he does he's singing on the whoa whoa whoa's. Holy the shit! The very beginning of the uh in the, that, that uh, there's a little toy kid toy. Yeah, that was Don's daughter. That like I said, it was his basement was his his little kid play down in there. Holy and, shit! And um, Ian is uh, he he was just so uh, such a part of it. Like he was. It, Recording us and coming he seems in, so supportive of Seven stuff. Seconds too. Man. He's, just, he's, he's been great. Job. He was the first one that you know when I sent out the note that we were breaking up when we broke up. He first one to call me, called yeah. me, and just 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 checking in. He's yeah. just like, "How you doing, man?" You know, yeah. like 
He's, he, you know, when we played DC the last time a couple years ago, he came out and there's always this moment because he always comes out if he's in town and he's always on the same exact spot. And I, I've seen footage. Somebody sent it to me once. I just try not to look over there because I'm like, I love, I, I don't look at, uh, up to him like in the way that you know people should and would because uh, I've known him too long and he is a friend. But there is moments where I'm like, you know, he is the shit. I mean, I, you can't. You, <laughs> so if if if, if anybody's is the shit, Ian McKay is the fucking shit, and it's because he just, God damn it, man, and he's lived that way his whole life. He's just he's honest a, and he's, he's the epitome he, of everything that he, he represents. Absolutely. Absolutely, and he takes time. And like, how many times have you seen the photo of the the, the little couple hanging out with Ian at and the Discord house? Dude. This dude is a busy motherfucker. He's doing all kinds of shit. I, know, I mean, man. he's he's like cataloging cataloging music for like the library, like like DC dude. music. DC gets how important DC music is and that scene is unlike most cities like they've said hey you know like this is our part of our history and he's he's the core that that he's like the you know he's made it and and he's got so much going on but he's you know he's he's just solid and 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 you can't you can't have a better conversation with anybody no you know he listens he talks he's just he's funny and, uh, and he lives everything. He just lives it his whole life. He's stuck yeah. by it. everything. His various everything his whole life. He's man. always been right. He he he's told me. I I, I don't know when when seven seconds were we were looking to kind of, we we had we had, we had the the era where you know the YouTube period where people were bumming on us. Well, you know, like and but then we were like we we had band member changes and we became a three piece again. We were just playing more straightforward stuff. You know, I, I, I was just talking and he was just saying, dude, just start your own fucking label. Stop with signing with these goofy labels. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't try to be on fucking epitaph or fat. Just, just start your own label. He goes, it's a lot of work, but you, you know, and he was right. He was absolutely right. Actually, fat Mike told me the same thing. He, they're smart. They know exactly yeah. what's going on and they know it's going to be work, but if you do it, You'll be better off because you'll Long own run. your own shit. You won't have any that many. Re- you know, you won't have regrets. And I have, I don't have regrets, but I just am like, I I want to tie everything together. At my yeah. at this point in my life, I don't want to have all these labels. I had to go, hey, that's out of been out of print for twelve years. Can you? No, you can't release it. It's like, well, yeah. why? Like, you're not making any money off it. I don't yeah. even want to make money off it. I just wanted to. I before I die, I want all of our shit out there. Just I I, like, I want to know that it's just all out. We worked our butts off on it's it. It shouldn't be yeah. you know hidden in some fucking vault somewhere that nobody gives a shit about. You know, I so, think it's smart to do that. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know that it. The, I, I, the world doesn't give a shit about it. I I give a shit about it, and it's like it's just you know one of those things where it, maybe it's too late, too little, too late. Maybe I should have been more savvy when I was twenty or twenty four or twenty five. But anyway, Ian is one of those guys where oh, so you know, Ian's always all, he's off to the side, and there's always this like, <laughs> why does he have to stand right there? Like I can, if I look, I can see him, you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he just always has something so sweet to say. He's like, we got done playing the last set, and you know, like we were having, you know, we were, we're, we're there's always a feeling over the last ten years, this might be it, this might be the last tour. I don't know if we'll, yeah. we got another one. This, and he just said. Now that's a band, you know, and I was like, I don't even care what that means. I just know coming from you, it means so that's much. That's fucking you know? awesome. And and uh, shit, man, it's you know, I've I've loved every moment of our friendship. Is it's it's always been the only time I ever feel kind of like I'm imposing as somebody. And he's giving me shit for it. He's like, you never call me, and I'm like, I just don't want to bug you, man. I know you're busy. And he's like, fuck that, shit. you know. He's like, yeah. he's good at that. He he's one of those few people I'll take that from where it's just mm-hmm. like, don't just stop that shit. And yeah. that's not life's too short. And, and he's right. 
You know, he's never really been wrong. I love that he's completely off the grid, but then he can just call Discord, he'll answer, or he can just email him. Yeah. He just answers right away. Oh, he's great. He'll answer his emails like, boom, just like, I know, I know. People will post, the people that aren't in bands will go, oh my God, Ian just wrote me. Like, he's not just like a guy that just is like, yeah, I guess you're important enough, all right. You know, like... Oh, and I, super humbly responds to everybody. It's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and and there, we don't have a lot of guys, a lot of people like that. We don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of there, we have a lot of amazing people. You're one of them. But Thank we have you, a lot man. of amazing people in this little community of ours. But it's like when you think about the history of it, you know, and all of all the bands that have done all the things and all the festivals and the warp tours and this and that. You know, Ian's always been on the right side of things. <laughs> you know, 100%. with his record label, with his bands, you know, like it's been pretty prices all that shit. Everything. It's no been spotless. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, and when, uh, that's why when he's the only time I'll, the only time I'll ever get f- pissed and defend, feel the need to defend like most of my friends who get shit on, I'm like, you know what? They don't even need defend. It, what they do is that's enough. But man, Ian is one of those guys. I'm like, not not in front of me. Like you you can't really shit on Ian. Like you he, can, he hasn't like you know. Well, I was thing is I was coming into a club and he was standing there and he didn't say anything and he did. And it's like, you know, I don't even want to have that. I, I personally, I've. I've been in that situation. I know you have. Where oh, yeah. You're just getting out of the van after a seven-hour ride, and you, some kid goes, dude, you want to fucking sign my record? And you know, you're like, can you just give me 10 One minutes? Second, let me take a piss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I just want to get my brain out of the van. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm a nice guy. I love chatting and talking with people. Yeah. I, I will sit. At the end of the night, I'll be the last guy that leaves a club after being the first... I don't mind it. I love it, but just give me some time. Like, let me yeah. have a little bit of time to just get my brains back to. Hundred percent. You know. Um. So after Walk Together, Rock Together came out, which was all great record, and, and the lyrics you guys were singing about everything was happening then. What was the? Wh- how long was that in between doing New Wind? And what was inspiration behind that? Well, we were we got back from the '85. Well, so we'd had a, a lot of changes. Troy left the band. Okay. And had to deal with some stuff at home, family stuff. And then Steve left the band, or maybe Steve left first. It was the second time Steve left. And, you know, I went through this thing of like, God, man, I don't want to play, a, I don't really want to do a band without these guys. You know, this, this is whole. And, and so the, 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 but the problem was, in seven seconds, it just, our wheels, I mean, we were rolling. You know, yeah. things were really going well. And, and, and I, I've never been an ambitious, like, we got to keep moving the dream. Keep the dream alive. I've never been that guy. I'd never had keep that machine moving. Got a hit song. I've yeah. never had that sense about it. Yeah. Like I, I don't have. I don't have a feeling of like we. You know, the momentum's good. We can't fuck this up. You know. So I wish I had. Actually, it would have been smarter. But uh, we just had. You know, Steve was out for a bit. Troy was out, and I was just like, we. Oh, we had a tour booked, and I was like, well, we can't cancel this tour. Everybody's busted their ass to help us get the show. Was it a new win tour? Um. Let's see. Walk Together came out. This is it's the timeline is, and I know because I'm writing this book, and I'm trying. Yeah. I, I got to search deep, but th- th- at some point, Steve left the band. His firstborn hap- his first son gotcha. happened. And so yeah, the new end. Okay, so his first kid was born. Um, he also was like. Try it, that was when he tried out for Metallica on bass. He auditioned for Metallica as a bass player. I, I did not know that. Yep. He Puss said. Called Holy him and said, shit. "Dude, Metallica are looking for a bass player to uh, for Cliff Burton." And Holy shit! Your name came up, and would you be would you want to come down to San Francisco and try? And Steve loved Metallica, and so he's totally. like, "Yeah, sure." So he went down and did pretty good. He just you know they whatever, but uh, it was a weird time for us. And Steve was just going through his own thing with family, and 
And I was just like, God, I'm, I'm like the one, I can't, I can't see this just stopping right now. Like, so I, my whole thing was, is that I was still talking with Steve and Troy and, oh no, no, I'm sorry. So Steve came back in the band. We did, we put new in Oh man, this the timeline's getting weird. Cause Steve's son was on the cover, he the original a, cover yeah, was, of, yes. of new yeah. in. We toured, uh, with, oh God damn it. Because we also recorded part of New Wind in D.C. with Yeah, him. that's right. You said demos or something, yeah. And that was when Belvy K. was our drummer. And Ron, Steve was back in the band. Steve and I, Belvy took Troy's place, moved yep. out from New York, moved out from Syracuse, because we had met him. He was in a great hardcore band called the Catatonics. Oh, yeah. You know, just fast, speedy thrash. <laughs> totally. And he booked our shows in Syracuse, so we just loved him, and we got along really well. And then uh, Ron Doig was the kid that, he was just a young kid from Reno that used to, he was in a band called No Deal, and they just were like our little brother band, and he gotcha. just tried out, and we're like, I literally had to sign, his parents made me sign a legal document that made me his legal guardian on tour. That's crazy. So anything that happened, he was under, he was 17, so yeah. anything that happened, like I would never think about doing that now. That's Can you imagine no, that crazy. stupidity? Like, Anything could have happened. We could have gotten yeah. a wreck. He could have gotten, you know, but, and that was, those were dangerous times back then. Who knew it was, it was going on? But I think, yeah. I think Sammy, Sammy said it happened to him too because he was like 12 or 13. Yeah. And they played with you guys out here. Yeah. He had to get, somebody had to be signed to be his parent too. Yeah, right? that was a thing. Like parent, the, the, the responsible parents would do that. Yeah. Like, you know, most parents would be like, yeah, whatever. Like my mom, <laughs> like, I think about that now. My mom, you know, my brother was, he was 16, I think, for the 15 or 16 when we first went on the road. So it just was a different time, you know? Yeah. Parents were just weird and, you know, we, I mean, seatbelts weren't a thing and <laughs> insurance wasn't a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so much wasn't a thing. You know, people were smoking in cars. And, and airplanes, you know, all that shit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was just awful, unhealthy time, you know? Yeah. But yeah, uh, I can't... So we went out on the road. We did the 85 tour with, excuse me, we walked together. Rock there came out. We, God, damn it! I'm just having. I'm, I'm Maybe kinda, right there in front of you. I don't know if that helps. I don't know if that. Well, walked together. Rock there. I know the timeline. Walked together. Yeah. Rock there came out in '85. Troy in, in between. Walked together. Rock there the new one. Troy and Steve both left. Steve came back. Belvy and Ron came in. We did the '85 tour. Uh, did a whole thing. That's when we recorded uh, the new one stuff. Yep. out there. Um, and we were on the phone with Troy every other day. Troy was yeah. like, I, I just, I miss you guys. Well, we miss you. Yeah. We love Belvy. Belvy's an amazing drummer, but Belvy was also like, Belvy was more into like the glammy thing and was trying to do like, he would do a thing. Uh, he, I don't think he knew that I knew, but he would do a thing like he would drink a, a, a beer and hold it up behind the drum kit. So people would know that like, I'm not straight edge, you know, like, and uh, we weren't, and we weren't even straight edge, but yeah. it was just like, that was his little thing. And, and you know, I, at the point, at that point, I was just like, let's just do this. Sh- let's just do this. So on that tour, uh-huh. we had a friend that followed us, and he traveled with us, and he f- vi- videotaped everything. Awesome. And with the idea of making a documentary that he did make, it was, which should be made someday. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. People hit me up all the time, and I know, it, it I never know. goes anywhere. And and I'm all for it because I think there's a cool story to tell there, and it it just represents a time that that was you know like I don't know. There was there's a story there. There should be a doc. Yeah, well, in the book, I'll make it happen. All right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we did the tour, and then uh, Belvy got jumped in Baltimore, and the, we played this place called the Loft. And it was I just know Loft bad, Jules, yeah, the Loft. Yeah, right. It was a sketchy Tough area, man. Deal, man. And and he got uh, jumped, damn. jumped right in the streets. We were coc were playing, and we were inside. And somebody ran and said, "Hey, dude, come outside. Your drummer just just got drunk by some neighborhood kids." What year was that? You think eighty seven? That was eighty five. 
I must. I was. I had to been there. I had to been there at that show. I might have the T-shirt still. Yeah, I was fifteen. We didn't um, play the show. We so we he got jumped. We ran outside. The kids had taken off. His he uh, the kids had, had smashed a beer bottle into his ear oh, fuck, and embedded man. a hunk of glass in his eardrum. So Jeez. he was bleeding like crazy. We That's had horrible. our friends from D.C. Some two girls that we were good friends with had come to the show. Um, escorted us. We got in the van, got our shit Damn. out, went to a hospital, took him to the hospital somewhere in Maryland. Uh, the doctor took hours. The doctor said, like, he's, he's, he, he, we took the glass out, yeah. but his equilibrium was all off. His hearing might be shot and he's done for now. Jesus. So we had two and a half weeks left of the tour to get back. We had like Florida, Texas and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so we were fucked. We had it. We drove straight from Washington D.C. Uh, to Reno, Nevada, and with I, we have videotape. Belvy slept the whole way. He was on some kind of something that made him sleep, and just caked dried blood in Damn. his ear, and and us just like depressed. Could and he hear out of his ear? I he he turned out fine, yeah. but he, he just it was a it was just a tough moment. It was yeah. like a, a real moment. You're know, like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, that that's that that's what this this shit happens like. So we got home and it was it was like I didn't know what to do. I was like, this is just I don't know if we should still be a band. Mm. Violence was starting to happen a lot at shows, and yeah. we were like, you know, I'm already sick of this shit. Yeah. And then Steve left the band. No, no, Belvy left the band. Troy got back in the band. We said, look, you know, Troy was our brother, and you know, yeah. So Belvy moved back, and then Steve left again. It was just crazy. Was that so, hard? You and your brother in band. So yeah, because I've had that too. Yeah, I mean, it's also the easiest. Like, totally. When it's good, like it's great. Steve and I have this thing where we do on a, every tour where I do a lot of driving, and and when Steve sits up on the passenger side after a gig, it, we'll, we'll sit and just talk and laugh for hours, awesome. and it's that's who we are. That's really who we are as brothers. But on those nights where he's just he's having a tough night, or I'm having a tough night, we also know each other better than anybody else, and we're just like, "Fuck you!" Like, who do you think you are? You're not my, you know. And and we've had fist fights. I mean, we've had. Damn. Stupid fist fights in, in on uh, tour. We had a fist fight at the fucking Metro in Chicago in the lobby. We played this amazing show, sold out, great. Yeah. And Steve was hanging out with this girl. I was I was single, and I was I knew a girl that lived in town that I kind of hung out with, and yeah. And uh, he, I don't know what was going on. He was just being really weird, and I I talked shit to him, and he came at me, and the security guy oh. in the front didn't know. Who he didn't recognize him. He yeah. thought some fan was just attacking me. So the <laughs> security guy got in my headlock, and then I got mad. I'm like, "Leave him alone! He's my brother. He's in the fucking like." I got <laughs> it was like a fucking Three Stooges or something, and <laughs> and then uh, that night, so we both everybody paired off and did their thing, and then I went. We all got back to the hotel room that night, late in the night. Yeah, and Steve had been drinking, and Steve started talking shit in the hallway, and I I went after him. It was just stupid. Damn, and we he got me in a headlock, and it was just like. And you know Troy has seen it a couple times, and I I I won't engage in it. I just stopped engaging because because I'd see Troy's face, and I it just it just destroys Troy. Yeah, because Troy's sweet, got so much love in his heart, such a sweetheart, man. and loves us as brothers. Truly, we all love you know, and yeah. and just can't he can't handle it. It's just too much for him. And yeah, and I and I just never understood that until one day I just saw it, and I'm like, fuck this. I, I and I told Steve and I have talked. I'm like. You know, first of all, fighting you is like, I can't fight you. You're my brother. Like, even if I want to fucking beat the shit out of you, I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. You're my brother. I love you. I've I've seen you go through too much, and I've, you've yeah. gone, I've gone through too much with you. Like, I know who you are, and I just, I, there, we, if we can't handle things better than being a couple fucking middle-aged dudes 
trying to punch each other out. It's like this is <laughs> it's just fucking stupid, it's you totally know. Stupid, yeah. Like there's 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 this isn't worth it, you know. And he yeah. agrees. He just you know you know how it is. You get caught up in bullshit. Yeah, and, totally. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, it's been years since we've gotten into it. It's just oh, we, we haven't toured in a long time. But it's great when it's great. When it's bad, it sucks. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard sometimes. It you know, and and you, you in in rock and roll history, any brothers, you know, anybody that's been brothers in bands, it's always been a disaster. You know, it, but they make the best music. You yeah. know, like so yeah. it, it, it's pros and cons. But yeah. So uh-huh. I went, we, uh, let's put it this way: with Steve, the couple times Steve was out, and we would do a tour just to take care of commit. It was just not the right thing, and just, you know, seven seconds without Steve Youth and Troy Moe, it's, it's like, yeah, I, I it, it just doesn't make sense. I agree. And at some point, we just said, "All right, no more of this. No more fill-ins. I, I, you know, I can't do it. I don't want to be on. It's not uh, none, nothing against people we've played with. It's just, yep. we're this is it, you know, and and we gotta." protective and respectful about this you know so hey guys thanks for listening um please rate review uh subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast please do that and whatever platform you are listening to this on i'm glad you found me you can rate me and review me on there also so thank you guys sincerely for the support i cannot wait for you guys to the next one